This Facts and O'Brien podcast is brought to you by Gary Thomas and the Wealth Technology Group in Westfield. Where it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Rock 102, Springfield's Classic Rock. It's 533 and Kansas on Rock 102. Oh, it's going to be another hot one today. We're talking, uh, what are we talking about here? Talking about 91 for today, uh, 92 for tomorrow, and partly cloudy, hot, and humid. You know what we could use? We could use some rain. I've had to rain in a couple of days. Yeah. So I'm really, again, I'm worried about this red flag warning. There are no red flag warnings. They all floated away on the rain that we've had for a month and a half. We're fine with the rain. I don't know. I don't know. I'm really concerned about my crops. Golf courses still closed in some places. It's uh, it's a mess, but it's going to be hot today. We're going to be uh, talking to local filmmaker Mike Gorley today. Uh Whole big thing we're going to tell you about uh, about what he's got planned. Uh, he's uh, allegedly looking to uh, do a film about a local stuntman. A local stuntman. Yes, something huh. something like that. He's from Agawam, and the uh, stuntman is or Gorley is. Gorley is originally ah. from uh, from Agawam. I so uh, we'll be talking to him later. And also, tickets to see the Dead and Company at the Xfinity Theater in Hartford in September. We'll tell you all the details about that coming up later on today. It's 5 for 34 with Bax and O'Brien of Rock 102. GG Inks, screen printing. Rock 102, Springfield's Classic Rock. It's 5.50. And late Charlie Watts and the Rolling Stones in Rock 102. Yeah, it's a shame losing him so young at the age of 60. Uh, he was 80. Well, I heard that previously, but then uh, three times yesterday afternoon on another radio station, I heard the same person three times say he was dead at the age of 60. And I thought 60? Yeah. And I thought each of those times he's going to catch himself, right? Right. He's he's going to hear what he said. Uh no, he did not any of those three times. No. Well, what's that radio station? Right uh now? it's a uh, WFU. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. Understand. <laughs> I know that. I know that yeah, one too, yeah. I, I, I think we worked for that uh-huh. one at one point. Or, or we will next. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, what do you say? We hop into some Hollywood yeah. trash yeah. with Steve yeah. and Nagel. Yeah. And, and uh, that is true. Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts died yesterday at the London Hospital, surrounded by family. He was 80 years old. There's no word on the cause of death, but Charlie had previously backed out of this year's tour because of an undisclosed health issue. Yeah, he was dying. <laughs> What, what's the matter well, with you? I have an undisclosed condition. I'm, what is that? I'm dying. Uh, I, I'm sure it's completely unrelated yeah. to the idea that he's dead. Well, I think you're violating his uh, his privacy rights uh, by saying something so outrageous. I don't think so. Watch joined the uh, Stones in 1963 and was regarded as one of the premier drummers in rock as well as a stabilizing influence within the band. You know what's even more amazing? Because when he died uh, yesterday, I'm thinking, God, the guy was 80? Bill Wyman is 85. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These guys are absolute proof that uh, all that stuff they say about drugs, eh, it's not true. Well, Charlie cleaned himself up, and and allegedly so has uh, Keith. But you know what? As far as uh, great drummers go, isn't isn't Charlie Watts kind of like on the level with Ringo Starr as not really great drummers, but, you know, very, very popular ones, obviously. Well, um... It all depends on how you look at it. If you're looking for him to be like uh, you know, John Bonham and Neil Peart, no, he's not as flashy as that. But 
you know, the guy is one of the most solid drummers of all time. Mm. You know, all those hits, both of them. You know, when you hear Ringo Starr play, you know who's playing. Same thing with Charlie. No, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't diminish uh, his <laughs> skills at all. Plus, he was a, a jazz drummer. Yeah, those, yeah, I saw that. Those guys, uh, those guys know what they're doing. Yeah, he had to be taught rock and roll by Keith Richards. Wow. Take this Coke and shove it up your nose. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Take this this pill and put it down your throat. Take this needle and stick it in your arm (laughs) between your toes. Take that rubber strap and hold it around my arm. Now wash it all down with phenobarbital and vodka here. (laughs) Okay. All right, you're in. Charlie never really went in for the rock star lifestyle. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was married to his wife Shirley since 1964, and mostly stayed out of trouble, except for a heroin addiction uh, in the mid 80s. Well, he again, a little was, bit of hiccup. That was him trying to prove to Keith he could he could do it. He also battled and beat throat cancer back in 2004. Hmm. Uh, there's no word yet from uh, Keith or Mick Jagger, but Paul, Paul McCartney posted a video calling Charlie a lovely guy and a fantastic drummer. Ringo Starr uh, posted a tribute as well. And Elton John called Charlie the ultimate drummer when such brilliant company. Yeah, it's that? all very nice. And when this uh, when this knucklehead uh, announced that he died at the age of sixty, then they played uh, Angie in honor of him. What? I don't believe he does that. I don't believe he. Uh, there's no drum in that song. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I mean. Kind of at 60 years old, and he plays a drumless Stones hit. You play uh, you know, a 19th Nervous Breakdown yeah. or something. Yeah, like a, you know, Monkey Man. That's or, a great mon- drum line right there. Or yeah. pretty much any other Stone song. <laughs> You'd, we would even have accepted Emotional Rescue yeah. if it were that desperate. A family in Warwickshire, England, got a pleasant surprise the other day when Tom Cruise landed his helicopter in their backyard. That is a surprise. The family actually got a call saying that an unnamed VIP was running late for a meeting and needed to land there because nearby Coventry Airport was temporarily shut down. And they were pretty shocked when Tom stepped out of the chopper. Allison Webb says he went straight for her kids and started talking to them, then offered them a ride. So they actually went up in the helicopter while Tom was at his meeting. I was going to say, if he's running late, he's <laughs> yeah. stopping and giving rides? No, he let the, He went uh, to the meeting and let the kids go in the helicopter. Hey, pilot, uh, watch these kids for a few hours. Yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, uh, Tom, I, I I agreed to land in a field instead of an airport. Alice, I'm, also, I'm not going to become a babysitter now. <laughs> Allison says, quote, it turned out to be an incredible day. It was surreal. I still now can't believe it happened. Yeah, Tom Cruise shows up in your backyard right on a helicopter. Mm. Well, it's like an have angel space. falling from the sky. Uh-huh. Uh, Bob Odenkirk. No, that would have been uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not really and, falling, but crashing. And John Denver. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, I was, I'm sticking with helicopters. Several members of Leonard Skinner yeah. and uh, helicopters. <laughs> uh, Bob Odenkirk appeared briefly on an online comedy show, which he uh, joined by phone. We haven't heard much about Bob's condition since his heart attack a month ago, but he looked and sounded great. Oh, so he was not just on the phone. It was, it was a video, by video. Video chat. Mm. Yeah. Showtime said Dexter is a jewel in their crown and, quote, we didn't do it justice in the end. Also, the possibility of a spinoff or continuation of the new season has not been ruled out. But I thought that's what they're taking yeah, up here. That's what they were filming in Worcester. Not ruled out. It's been ruled in. Yeah. Showtime has kind of a history of uh, unsatisfying endings to their show. Dexter, Ray Donovan, a few others. There's... Ray Donovan is done? No. What the... This is what they're... It is technically done as a series. 
but they're going to do a, a film to kind of wrap it up, very yeah. much the way they're going to do with The Sopranos. I kind of gave up on uh, Donovan a couple yeah. of years ago. The, I don't even the, remember why. The final season was pretty good. The season before that, not so good. But those first couple of seasons were great. Maya Rudolph and Andy Samberg will be hosting a holiday baking competition show called Baking It. On, oh, is there nothing they can't do? On the Peacock Network. Teams will uh, compete in holiday-themed challenges and will be judged by a panel of opinionated real-life grandmothers. Wow. Sounds like a winner. Yeah. The uh, the kid on the cover of Nirvana's Nevermind album is suing the band, the photographer, and the record labels, calling the picture child pornography. Both he and the album are now 30 years old. That the uh, naked kid in the pool? That's the naked kid in the pool. And uh, supposedly they didn't have permission? No. They, uh, well, they, they had, I believe they had permission. Of course but they it, did. But it's uh, it's about, uh, you know, should you have had a a naked baby in a pool with all his bits and pieces exposed? Yeah, his name is uh, Spencer Eldon, and just like the album, he's 30 years old. He was only four months old when he was photographed for the cover, wiener and all. In his uh, lawsuit, he notes that he couldn't legally consent to his image being used, and according to him, that's child pornography. Uh, he also says the band promised to cover his nether region with a sticker, but never did. That's different. Yeah, he's suing the band at surviving members, Kurt Cobain's estate, the photographer, and the record labels that released the album. He wants $150,000 from each plaintiff. Do they uh, do they have that in writing of the sticker? Uh, that's what I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you know, again, this is uh, about his parents, not about him. But, you know, he should look at it as, as uh, you know, I'm a little embarrassed here, but at least I'm not Kurt Cobain. Yeah. At least I'm not collecting my thoughts with a dustpan. Exactly. <laughs> with a shop vac. <laughs> and a mop. The wet, wet dry vac. <laughs> that's it. And that's your Hollywood trash on Rock 102. I am. Hurry to Gary Room Hyundai and save green with more inventory than any other dealer in Western. Brought to you by Rocky's Ace Hardware. Grills, grills, grills. Weber, Big Green Egg, and Traeger Wood-Fired Grills. Hey, good morning, sports fans. How the heck are you? As many of you know, the cutthroat world, the professional sports mascotting is serious business. You can't just put some guy in a foam rubber suit in front of 34,000 people and expect that things are just going to be okay. Being a sports mascot takes skill, ambition, and a tenacious desire to delight the ticket-paying fans with your antic shenanigans and unfettered tomfoolery. The problem is when the parent club decides to make changes to this proud line of work. Because in a court of law, one must occasionally ask the tough questions like, who has authority over whom? For example, a federal court magistrate in New York has just released a 91-page decision claiming that the Philadelphia Phillies are within their rights to make significant changes to their mascot, the Philly Fanatic, despite its creators arguing that the original Philly Fanatic costume is a registered artistic sculpture under current copyright law. According to the original court documents, the Phillies were looking to make sweeping material changes to their mascot design, including less fur, more feathers, stars outlining the eyes, and many other drastic updates. The magistrate, however, ruled that while the original creators were able to prove the Philly Fanatic was a protected copyright entity, the changes suggested by the club were sufficient enough to allow the club to continue its association with the Fanatic nevertheless, just like it has for the last 37 years. Now, my question isn't just how can you have it both ways. My question is, 
How does somebody write a 91-page decision about a guy in a foam rubber suit who dances during baseball games for a team that's barely cracking 500? I've just given you three paragraphs on it. I feel like I need to lie down. Meanwhile, you have a federal magistrate who clearly doesn't know how to edit her Word documents. Listen, nobody really likes unexpected changes in life, but if the worst thing that you have to worry about is upsetting people over the fur-to-feather ratio of your team's mascot, then perhaps it's time to evaluate your priorities in life. Because in my book, which is far less than 91 pages long, I find I don't really care enough to provide sworn testimony during a frivolous lawsuit. But hey, enough of my yapping sports brought to you by Rocky's Ace Hardware. The Stanley 25-foot lever lock tape measure, four bucks. The Craftsman wide mouth tool bag, four bucks. It's the four buck tool sale at Rocky's Ace Hardware. The August sales flyer is on Rocky's website loaded with bargains like the four buck tool sale going on right now at your neighborhood Rocky's Ace Hardware. I'm back, that's my view from the couch. Rock 102 Springfield's Classic classic Rock. It's 611. And Charlie Rock, Watts and the Rolling Stones in Rock 102. Two Stone songs in 60 minutes? What is We're, this, Amateur Hour? No, actually, we be playing uh, Stone songs throughout the day today to uh, memorialize the late uh, Charlie Watts. And so uh, I think that's totally appropriate. You know, I don't think I've ever once measured my life satisfaction scale based on how, my, how white my shirts could be. Irrespective of whether or not a man on TV told me that, John, you're 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 barely getting satisfaction whether there's a shirt on your back that's not splattered with stains on it. It's absolutely true. Yeah, but I think we're gonna play, if I'm not mistaken, maybe every Rolling Stone song, including a Star Star later on this morning. What about Angie, the one that uh, Charlie was off that day when they <laughs> ordered it? I'm sure he was. Um, I'm sure he was there. I mean, uh, I probably passed out somewhere. But no, he's. Uh, he uh, he died yesterday, or at the age of eighty years old, which probably is hard two to days ago now, right? Uh, yes, yeah, yes. Or he's probably already buried. All right. Well, announced yesterday, yeah, that he died at the age of eighty. So uh, it certainly seems, from what I saw on TV twenty two, anyway, uh, that MGM is certain that a gambling bill, a sports gambling bill, is going to pass this year because you don't put that much money into two different areas of the casino unless you've got a sure bet. It's ironic that I uh, mentioned yeah, it as a sure bet. Uh, there, yeah. Yeah. So they showed it uh, last night on 22, obviously. Uh, they had a grand opening yesterday, 1045 in the morning, for uh, two areas that will remain unusable for several months. But um, they did. it does appear as though one of them is, in fact, what used to be the bowling alley. Uh, that you get to through tap. And the other one uh, appears to be, if you're as familiar with the place as I am, um, when you come in off Is of, anybody? Yes, I'm Yes, I'm certain. There are many, many people who know every step of that place with their eyes closed. If you come in off of the elevators and you take a left, originally, when they ver- opened up that, that place the very first months, there was a place that was required by the gaming act and, and actually is still there, but it's in a different spot. There's a place where you can go. If you think you have a gambling addiction, how about this? If you think you have a gambling addiction, try not walking into a casino. Well, you could do that too, but it's once you've already been there and you've lost everything and you say, you know what? I might have a problem. (laughs) There used to be a spot right there. There used to be dollar bills in my wallet too. And there also was, that's the original location of the M life. When they first opened, 
because I, I saw the, what I could see on the video was the restrooms behind it and the lettering on the wall above the restroom I recognize as being along that that front wall that right. would uh, that would run in that direction. So it seems as though you'll you you practically walk into the first one just as you enter, and uh, and they have. Uh, stadium. I'm not sure if it was stadium seating or all flat uh, leveled seating. The one I'm looking at is all flat seating. Yeah, yeah, but uh, looks very nice. Well, you know, uh, try to imagine uh, installing that into your house. You know, I mean, most homes have like one TV per room, mm-hmm. but then they have like a, a whole wall, you know, completely covered with like dozens of television screens. I mean, that would be. <laughs> Freaking awesome! I just lost it. I don't. I don't know what the hell happened. I yeah. just had the video on, and I saw for one second something that made me change my mind and say, "Wait a minute! I think I've got the wrong spot here," and and I lost the video. So this is the uh, where you think the M Life yeah office was because what I saw a moment ago was the back wall. And, and and it's shot from different angles. Yeah, so it, it, it seems. I mean, as I'm looking at it, it seems a little bit deeper than the yeah. M Life office. But the, you know what? I mean, I don't recall. There was there was area behind that facade wall. Mm-hmm. So I mean, maybe there is a few. I mean, like 10, 12, 15 feet beyond that, and they just removed the wall. The um, the back wall appears to be the walk up bar. So. And and they put a second walk-up bar in there. But the original walk-up bar was, you know, the entire length of a wall. And uh, and, and all the, the games were in the tabletop of the bar. That's the back wall. So it would be then, you know, towards the, uh, towards the retail area yeah. of the uh, casino. So it looks like, excuse me, there's four rows of seating before... You know, between the wall of televisions mm-hmm. and that bar, yeah. So it's not like you can fit like you know hundreds of people in there, but you do have another place to go, appearing to be at tap in the bowling area. And again, we talked about it yesterday. Uh, given a choice between uh, betting my life savings on a sporting event and bowling, uh, I would choose bowling. But yeah. that's but that's I'm I'm a low risk type of player. Well, you know, you know what I mean. But a but a high roller apparently because the bowling wasn't cheap. No, it was it was not cheap at yeah. all. In fact, it uh, it actually cost more to bowl than it cost to get a steak at Chandler's. I I, I think that uh, well, how many frames? One. Mm, yeah, it's um, you know they're gonna they're gonna do hit or miss stuff. They're gonna find things that work, other things that don't. You know. Um, Obviously, that uh, the bowling thing wasn't doing it for him. Apparently, they probably were not getting enough gambling addicts to come into the place, so they yeah. moved their uh, their help me uh, location. <laughs> oh, that's it. This roulette table is starting yeah. to suck things dry. Yeah, I'm going to go bowling instead. Or, or you know what? Uh, I'm only bowling because I lost my kids' tuition. Although. Three three strings of bowling cost as much as his first year in college. I, I believe a semester at Northeastern is cheaper <laughs> yeah, yeah. than a frame of bowling at MGM. But I'm uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Also, they they refer to it as uh, luxury, and uh, I don't know what they mean necessarily by that. And and it'll also be curious to see what kind of wait staff there is 
and how well, how you quickly know, they get to you. I mean, I'm, I'm it, it's it's an unfair comparison because the amount of space dedicated to a sports lounge at MGM and uh, and the uh, and uh, like Bobby V's, for example, mm. in uh, in Windsor Locks, there's you know some similarities to it. It is set up very very differently. It's kind of a weird setup to kind of configure this like a like an auditorium. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's it's not stadium seating. It's it, 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 Bobby V's. At least it's set up kind of like in a horseshoe fashion. And there's you know there's there's a flow of traffic here. You're excusing yourself over the guy sitting next to you. I don't know. It's kind of like you know, like Roar is for the comedy club. It's yeah. kind of set up in very much the same way, which I don't think is necessarily right for a comedy club either but i think you know based upon space and how many people they can you know manage to fit in there again like you say a lot of this is kind of trial and error Mm -hmm. it works in some places maybe not so much in others uh by the way coming up after seven o'clock speaking of betting uh interesting story of two men in massachusetts who have three actually father and two sons who have been arrested for uh, manipulating the lottery system. Oh, I see. I don't see the manipulation at all. I just yeah. see them being incredibly yeah. lucky. Oh, they're lucky, all right. They should be at MGM. Although, yes. no, MGM would probably bar them. You guys win too much. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> or go bowling. And by too much, I mean over 600 times. Yeah, yeah. That uh, seems slightly they implausible. Are. They are but very lucky. You'd, I, you'd have to be. But, uh, no, I mean, listen, I think, I think MGM is doing what they can to try to you know, figure out what's going to work best in this particular facility. And, and they obviously have every reason to believe that we'll pass a sports betting bill this year. I well, mean, you well, wouldn't think, build something like this if you didn't think it was right around the corner. Well, I do think it's going to probably happen, if not this year, then early next no, year. No, no. It's going to be, oh, you mean before the end of 2021? Well, what I think. When do I they think, come back? Uh I think it's the either the end of the month or the beginning of September. They come back, and the Senate then looks at the House bill and votes on it. But, you know, it's possible that the Senate looks at that bill and says, you know what, we're going to draft our own bill. Yeah. And then it may go back and forth a little bit before it's, you know, they finally— I thought it already did that. <sighs> the, the last I heard is that the House wrote their version, and now it uh, it's pending Senate approval. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, you don't know what the Senate is going to do with this thing. And I think if, even if it's if it's uh, stricken down and loses in the Senate, there's going to be a pretty swift effort to get a new bill yeah. out there to yeah. get this done. So I think if it if it doesn't happen in 2021, early 2022 at the latest, like January 3rd, maybe. I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't know what the exact uh, calendar looks no, like. No, the second. The second, January yeah, 2nd. yeah, because you know that one day would be you know uh, crucial. But- well, it depends. Uh, you know, you want to get. I'm looking right now. Uh, yeah, January second is a Sunday, so you're right. Uh, well, you'd actually be at the end of. Well, you'd be in the playoffs, the NFL playoffs by January second. Yeah, but see, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily count on uh, you know whether or not. The football season is going on uh, at the time. Oh, and, and, yes, you do. I think they want this up before the Super Bowl. Well, I think they would like that, but they may not get that. And if it, if, it, if they don't get it, there's another Super Bowl coming up in 12 months. Yeah, well, you don't wait 12 months in this business. I mean, come on. For God's sakes, they're talking months God, at they, the most. They, they waited more than 20 years to get a casino well, in Springfield. But now they're here, and we want this before. Before everybody realizes that the Patriots will never have a winning season again, 
We want Jesus. <laughs> well, it's unfortunate, but it's true. It's not true. It's 622 with Bax and O'Brien of Rock 105. Bax and O'Brien of Rock 102. Later on this morning, we'll be talking to uh, Mick Gorley. Uh, she is a, a, a filmmaker out of uh, Agawam, and she's about to do her second uh, short film called Captus. It's about a... Uh, about a it's about a daredevil, uh, you know that that kind of thing. So a daredevil, I thought stunt, you were a stuntman. A, a stuntman, daredevil. I mean, I kind of lumped them all be together. Both. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a collaboration with a Hollywood stuntman, and uh, we will be talking to her after eight o'clock. What was her first short film about? Uh, it's actually part of a trilogy, uh, oh. the called uh, the Periculum, I believe that's how you pronounce it. So we'll be talking to her mm-hmm. about uh, what this trilogy is all about. Isn't that the, uh, the space uh, between? No, that is a perineum, but you uh. are so so <laughs> close, just inches away. Well, just yeah, just a just a, a little, a little, just a little, little flick away, further to the front. That's it. Let's laugh. Tell me. Tell me what's funny. It's Bax and O'Brien's joke of the day. Well, it's nice to find a fellow with a keen sense of humor. On Rock 102. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. Springfield's classic rock. You know, I used to have two kidneys. You did? Yeah. Then I grew up, and now I have two adult knees. <laughs> you see, they're not kids' knees anymore. Now they're adult knees because I, I grew up, just like I said. <laughs> Booyah! Bax and O'Brien. 629 with Bax and O'Brien at Rock 102. It's time for news. Here's local radio icon Steve Nagel. Thanks, Bax. The passenger in a wrong way crash on I-91 in Holyoke Sunday has died. A total of three people have died from that accident. Mass State Police have identified the wrong way driver as 78-year-old Wallace Sherman Jr. of Gloversville, New York. Sherman was heading north in the I-91 southbound lane Sunday evening when his car crashed into a vehicle with two occupants, 65-year-old Judith Keating and 65-year-old Michelle Swaller, both of Milford, Connecticut. Both drivers died Sunday in the accident. Crews used hydraulic tools to extract the passenger of the Connecticut vehicle, who was then taken to the emergency room with serious injuries, but later died from her injuries. So they must have, uh, I'm guessing, probably never been conscious after the crash. And so this is the first time we're we're hearing uh, ages. The the two women were 65, and uh, the man driving in the wrong direction was 78. So... Mm. You know, you, you wonder, I mean, obviously they'll, they'll talk to the family. There'll be a toxicology test to find out whether or not he, he was on any kind of medication, if he was having any kind of mental lapses or issues or, you know, why he would have gotten on the highway in the wrong direction with his flashers on. Um, but that's just, wow. I, when I, I heard that yesterday and I was like, cause you, you know, you think to yourself, well, if anybody survived, Maybe they can, but I didn't even realize at the time whether, maybe I just missed this. I didn't know whether the passenger was in the Connecticut car or the New York car. So when when I heard that uh, mm-hmm. that she had passed, that's when you realized, that's when I realized what car she was in. Yeah, again, uh, just a horrific thought of mm-hmm. driving down the highway and seeing that coming at you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A uh, total of eight kittens were dropped off at a local animal shelter after being found outside of a dumpster in Holyoke Saturday morning. According to the president of the Halfway Home Cat Rescue, Inc., Robin Fiska, eight kittens were found outside of a dumpster in Holyoke. One was in a plastic bag and the others were in a tote. 
Fisker received a call from the T.J. O'Connor Animal Control and Adoption Center to assist in fostering the kittens since the animal control center was full. I never understand that. People who throw away garbage right next to a receptacle. As opposed to putting it in the receptacle? Yes. Yes. I've seen people standing next to trash barrels take a piece of gum or last cigarette and then uh, throw the wrappers down on the ground. You're right there. You're next to the receptacle. What are, what are you doing putting the kittens out next to the dumpster? Well, you know, a lot of these dumpsters will tell you no lit embers because they don't want to have a dumpster fire. Well, no, I don't think these fire. kittens were lit. No, probably not. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm you know, not even talking about the kittens uh, so much as, you know, to, you know, your other point is mm. that, you know, why why not just put it into the receptacle? I mean, I don't see a reason to put, you know, a live animal of any kind, kittens or otherwise, into any trash bag or tote. Well, I, you know, the tote is is one thing. The trash bag, you know, clearly the individual had uh, a dislike possibly for cats. But it's certainly a, uh, it's certainly disrespectful. Mm. Fiska's rescue is also full, but she was able to find a foster family to assist with the four of with four of the kitten bottle feeders. Fiska said that the uh, eight kittens are likely uh, two from two separate litters. The four she has taken in are approximately three weeks old and believes the other four are about four weeks old. The kittens were all covered in fleas, but are now all safe. One of the kittens is missing an ear. Oh, Jesus. What? I said one of the kittens is missing an ear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Um, and, and I can't hear you. I'm missing an ear. I'm, I'm sure they can tell whether it was lost or born without it. Yeah, I'm sure they could. Yeah, uh, they're not detachable. They're not that's for sure. Like a detachable penis, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, halfway house, halfway home cat rescue Inc. in Chicopee is also a no-kill shelter that provides foster services for homeless and abandoned cats. So, if you need to surrender a cat, don't put it in the trash. There's well, this guy of- didn't do that either. You put it next to the trash. It's still throwing away the uh, the animal. I know. Well, well what day is pickup? And it's a recyclable week. (laughs) But they didn't put them in the blue bin either. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boaters and kayakers are being advised to avoid the area near the dam in Nashawananak after a large downed tree blocked the dam. What town? This is East Hampton. The East Hampton Fire Department on Tuesday said they relocated the tree away from the dam that would eventually cause debris to block the dam and cause water flow and algae problems. Uh, Once again, I believe it's debris and... um, do they know this wasn't done by mischievous beavers? It could have been. Could have very well been. Well, I mean, it could have also been the storm. The area near the dam of Nashwananak should be avoided because the flow of water is very fast after the recent heavy rain. So they don't want you, like, going over Niagara Falls in a barrel kind of thing. Well, especially with that giant log in the way. Yeah. Maybe it was uh, some, some, you know, beavers with a vengeance. I don't even have to have a vengeance. This is what beavers do. They just damn stuff they up. They damn stuff up, yeah. They don't have to have a vengeance. There's <laughs> a, there's a, uh, on the way up to my camper in Vermont, there's a, there's a beaver dam, like off to the side of the road. Mm-hmm. It's, it's enormous. And it's, it's, it's remarkable what these little beavers can do. I mean, they're crafty little beasts. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Left to their own devices. Yeah, I'm telling you, I, I you, 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 you can't appreciate good handiwork until you've seen the work of a good beaver. You know, I, I 
told you before, I had a friend uh, whose uh, parents owned a piece of property out in Ware. Where? Mm-hmm. Where? Exactly. Uh, had a house. It had, like, you know, probably 15, 20 acres on it. Yes. Well, like 10 of those acres were unusable because a, a family of beavers dammed up the property. So then all, all of a sudden, what was once a field is now a lake. And are they protected? Yes, so you can't take the beaver dam down. You can't. I meant protected as in you can't kill the beavers. You can't even take down the dam? No, you can't even take down the beaver dam. Damn. No matter how much damage the beaver dam has caused to other land uh, land areas. Did Did they actually build the Hoover Dam? I thought I read that somewhere. It the wasn't be- done by beavers. <laughs> you sure? Yeah. I, thought I, I thought that's what they taught us in uh, uh, elementary school. Yeah, they had the little construction hats on. Yeah, and they were part the union. of concrete. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were part of concrete local 26. Yeah, it was the beavers union local. Uh... <laughs> I'm not sure they're unionized. <laughs> well, they must be if you can't even take down their dams. That's yeah. union work. That is union work. You can't. You... Only only union-approved beavers can take this dam yeah, down. Yeah, and That's why you ever right. see beavers actually building a dam. is one beaver doing all the work and four or five of them sitting around in lounge chairs watching them do it. <laughs> Slapping their tails on the water. It's the ultimate no-show job. Oh, they're part of the Teamsters Union. Yeah. <laughs> uh, new security measures are being added to the Holyoke High School in response to vandalism on the property. According to the Holyoke City Clerk's Office, the police department has added video surveillance at Holyoke High and Roberts Field Complex. A soccer goal was recently set on fire at the John F. Gilligan Field as well as, as well as parts of the field. Set on fire? Yeah. A soccer goal? When they said vandalize, I'm thinking somebody took spray paint and right. drew a big penis on the field or something like that. That's you know? something you and I would have done. No, the, these folks took it to a whole new level and just set the goal on fire. I didn't even know how you do that. I mean, we... Was there a net in it, or was it just the posts? They don't go into detail what nah. that is, but the uh, the posts are wooden, aren't they? Yeah, uh, or metal. Sometimes they're metal. Yeah, but to, to set it on fire, you would, like you said, John, you'd have to have some sort of accelerant. Well, yes, of course, and determination as well, because I don't think that would happen quickly or easily. Uh, the brand new scoreboard was vandalized as well. The city is working to help police find those who vandalized the property. Well, that's, I mean, you can rebuild a a soccer goal probably in a half an hour. Get a couple of beavers to do it for you. But uh, a new scoreboard, yeah, that, that that's That's going to be pricey. Well, uh, people who can't, uh, you know, they, they don't like the Scores. city having new things. They just want to, you know, screw with the people who put those up. Yeah. You know what? I don't want anybody to have a good time i just want to destroy everything that's brand new or they could have been like i don't want anybody to ever know the score of one of these games so not only am i going to burn down the goal i'm going to also destroy the scoreboard so no one knows what the score is anyway Mm. i know most of the uh soccer games that my kids played at there was no uh there was no scoreboard yeah so it's you know you can you can play soccer without one or you could keep it manually, I suppose. Yes. Um, where was I going? What are you doing there, Clicky? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. 
Uh, no, da 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 A father and his two sons were charged yesterday in connection with a 10%ing scheme in which they allegedly cashed winning Massachusetts State lottery tickets on behalf of the ticket holders to avoid taxes on the winnings. We're going to talk about this after uh, after 7 o'clock. Do you want me to do the story or not? Yeah. You, you can do, do the story. You can do the headline, yeah. We won't comment very much on it. 62-year-old Ali, Ali Jafar and 28-year-old Yusef Jafar, both of Watertown, and 30-year-old Muhammad Jafar of Watertown and Waltham were also uh, each indicted on one count of conspiracy to defraud the IRS, one count of uh, conspiracy to commit money laundering, and multiple counts of filing false tax returns. According to the charging documents, the defendants conspired with others to purchase winning lottery tickets from the actual winners for cash at a discount that was typically between 10 and 20 percent of each ticket's value, thereby allowing the ticket holders to avoid reporting winners to their tax returns, a scheme commonly known as 10 percenting. I still don't understand that. I don't know how they did it, but uh, I got to tell you, they're... Their rate of winning is remarkable. Yes. yes very lucky. Quite lucky. All right. Well, you guys can yeah. get into a discussion later. Enfield police have located and identified a man oh, they say was. This is, this is, this makes the West Springfield Police Department seem like blabbermouths. <laughs> <laughs> Enfield police have located and identified a man they say was involved in an incident at a store. Police say the man was wanted for questioning for that incident. That involved the changing room inside the store. Uh-huh. Police did not say if the man had committed any crimes. No. The end. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> An incident at the a store, store in a fitting room. Those are the only facts we know. I'm well, telling you. It's, it's like uh, West Springfield's uh, spokesman has got verbal diarrhea. Uh, it's like some <laughs> someone over there saying, could you please yeah. just stop giving away all this information? <laughs> try, in fact, try to tell... Try to tell the media uh, about the uh, this this incident that occurred <laughs> with the least amount of facts. Can you imagine telling you know these cops telling their kids stories at night. Yeah, Once upon a right. time, there was a guy. Good night. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Sergeant Nunya business. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Sergeant Nunya business. Uh, could you tell us what store it was? Uh, nope. Nunya. No, no, Nunya. Yeah. Nunya what? Nunya business. Exactly. Uh, could you tell us what day this happened, Nunya? Nunya? Nunya business. What, uh, what, what happened in the store? Nunya. Uh, Nunya business. Yeah. <laughs> man, oh, man. The- and they're asked, did you, did you start out by saying they're asking for the public's help? Yes. The public's help <laughs> of no detail. Yeah. Well, what do you want us to help with? Nunya. Nunya yeah, well, we, we thought, hey, hey, do you know anything uh, about what? Uh, the guy. The guy where? In uh, the store, what what did he wear in the store? The uh, fitting room. What did he do? Uh, None yet. Just can you help us? Can you give us some help? I got something behind my back. Give me a hint. Okay, it's behind my back. Uh, can you tell us any more about the story? No, you're gonna have to ask Captain Vague over here. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Uh, Captain Bay, can you tell us what happened? No, nope, eh, maybe. Have, uh, you're gonna have to talk to Chief Cryptic over here. We can't. Uh, we can't tell you what's going on. Jesus. We got to go to West Springfield for a lunch date. Right. <laughs> a man named Spencer Everett of Greenville, North Carolina, reached an agreement to sell his 2020 Chevrolet Corvette Stingray. Recently, he was supposed Sweet. to hand over, hand over the keys yesterday, but on Monday afternoon, he decided to take it out for one last hurrah. Oh boy! And he gunned it, but he lost control. The car drove off the road into a ditch, and he flipped it onto its side. 
car was a total wreck, but Spencer wasn't hurt. It's safe to say the sale is off, and since these cars are sought after, he was probably in line to get a pile of cash. There's no word on how much he was selling it for. Uh, and on top of everything else, Spencer was charged with reckless driving. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. How stupid can people be uh, to take, you know, a sports car that's worth almost $100,000? Well, you know, it, it's funny because I, uh, I go to these uh, not because I'm into cars, just because I, I love to socialize. But uh, I, I go to a lot of these uh, cruise nights and... It's funny how, like, particularly the one in Ludlow. The Ludlow Elks has theirs on Tuesday night. And most of the cars are parked in a grassy area. And then you, when you come or go, you're, you're, you're going onto the pavement. And they have signs all over the place that say, no burnouts. And uh, invariably, uh, three out of ten cars, let's say, uh, leaving, will do a burnout. And, you know, because they're cool. Are they talking about the cars? Are they talking about the people who drive them? No, no, they're talking about the cars. And, of course, that makes the owner cool uh, when he can I, do a burnout. Because I've been to a couple auto shows where there's loads of burnouts all over the place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the ability to be cool with your classic car can sometimes cause people to maybe participate in behaviors that are potentially... Uh, possible to go out of control yeah say nothing i, I, I don't i don't know how to respond <laughs> there's nothing to oh, say yeah. uh lyft is partnering with oscar meyer and picking up people in the wienermobile this week wouldn't that be awesome to be picked up in the wienermobile yeah but it's only happening in four cities and you have to get lucky they're doing it in new york la chicago and atlanta and the people who get it are selected at random so it's not something you can reserve Anyone who orders a Lyft XL between now and Friday could get the Wiener Mobile. So instead of that big SUV or minivan, they'll get picked up in a 27-foot-long hot dog. The ride will also be free, and they'll get a bunch of Oscar Mayer swag, including T-shirts and weenie whistles. Fake news. Sad. Well, I think it's real, but uh, you know, normally when you use the app, you not only get the, the, the model and color of the car, but also the name of the driver. What happens if it's another Wiener Mobile and it's the wrong driver? Do you get into that Wienermobile? I say no. It might not be safe. Are you Jeff? Uh, yes, Jeff. Come on in. Come on into Wienermobile. Yeah, that's all right. I think I'll wait for the next Wienermobile. Is this the kind of Wienermobile you were talking about? Uh, no, Jeff. That's a that's a Frankfurter. No, is it a Frankfurter or is it a, a Jeff? Or, or or a footlong? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Your uh, Pioneer Valley forecast today going to be hot, hazy, and humid with a high of 91. More of the same for tomorrow with a high of 91. It is 60. Rock 102 Springfield's Classic Rock at 651. I didn't know the Stones did that one, too. No, we're not playing all Stones all day. We're playing a lot of Stones, like once an hour. Oh, uh, I thought like it that. was all Stones no. wall to wall. Although I hear Bill Wyman really liked that song. Uh, did you see this? Because Steve didn't cover this in news. Uh, apparently, Ray for Pellegrino and his brother, uh, Joseph, mm -hmm. have uh, purchased yep. a stretch of Worthington Street that had, been, that had belonged to 
to Victor Bruno. That includes Adolfo's and, uh, you know, that I believe everything going to the corner of Worthington and Dwight Street. Yep. No, I saw no, that a couple of days ago. Yeah, no word on uh, what they're going to do with it, but, you know. Oh, I'm sure they're going to do something. Oh, there's no, I mean, they're already saying they're going to do something. But, you know, if you remember a couple of years ago, Victor was talking about demolishing it and uh, in doing something with it and, well, and and trying to sell it off. And and that's the thing is that he didn't sell it. It uh, it was bought at auction by the Pellegrinos because there were taxes owed on it. And I guess that's probably how, you know, the, the difference between selling and auctioning a property is when you don't pay the taxes, you no longer have the option of being able to make money off of it. But... Um, but uh, yeah, oh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure Rafer's going to do something with it. And he owns uh, he also owns the um, the uh, cannabis place. Used to be Luxburger. He that, still, that he, building there. He still owns that building. Yeah, but he doesn't. I, as far as I know. Yeah, but he doesn't own the license to no, oh, no, operate. No, no. Yeah, he's right. a he's a real estate guy. It's all about the. Re- it's like that. Uh, it's like <clears> that uh, movie about McDonald's. About uh, he's the founder. Yeah, you know he. He's not so much about the product. He's more about the real estate. Well, I mean, uh, I give him credit because you know, that's an important part of uh, Worthington Street, and it would be a shame to see that. I mean, uh, had, the, had the plan been to level it and do something, I don't remember if it was like maybe a parking lot or what they were going to do, or, you know, technically there's a lot of, you know, it's an interesting looking building, mm. especially as you get to, you know, over to, to Dwight Street. It would be nice to see them. You know, put dining in there or, uh, you know, other things for people to do. That would be a, a welcome change. I don't give them closed for so long. I don't give credit to, to rich people anymore. Uh, well, why not? Yeah, because they're always flouting it, always rubbing it in people's faces. Do you, uh, we've known Ray for, for a good long time. <laughs> do you know him to be the kind of guy that shoves uh, it into anyone's face? Th- there's different levels. There's different levels of flouting. And uh, sometimes, you know, when you just keep buying places here and there and constantly uh, doing it, it's a, that's a flout. I don't mind if you're flouting, if what you're doing with all that money actually goes to serve and benefit people. If that's if that's what you're going to do What did uh, Luxburger do to serve and benefit any of us? Well, actually, I really like the place. I still don't know why it didn't last. But. Because there were 35 other burger uh, places within a five-mile radius of it. Speaking of which, um, you know, you hear all these stories about uh, these businesses not being able to find enough help to uh, to run their business, uh, particularly in, in the restaurant industry. I noticed yesterday as I was driving by the, the Hall of Fame uh, complex that all the tables and chairs from in front of Plan B have been stacked up against the front of the building like it's late October, early November, end of the season. Um, and the only reason I can figure is probably because they don't have enough staff to be able to serve all of the tables outside. Because anytime I've gone somewhere and eaten outside, and, and you know I do it a lot, right? Uh, invariably I've noticed that the waiter or waitress that I have is also servicing tables on the inside. So it's not like they have a dedicated outdoor staff. Um, they're usually going back and forth. So if they don't have enough people to cover all that, uh, it appears as though they have closed the outdoor dining at Plan B. I was at a, at a restaurant last week, maybe even the week before. And uh, no, it would have, yeah. And uh, I was talking to the owner 
And I was asking, you know, how, how are things going? He says, you know, the crowds have been good. We just don't have enough people to serve them. Yeah. And they're kind of all looking at the calendar waiting for, you know, all those early unemployment benefits to finally, well, you know, you know, you know uh, expire yeah. so that people figure, well, maybe it's time to get back to work. Because there's, but what there's I've loads read is, of jobs available right now. What I've read is this isn't all about unemployment. A lot of this is about child care, that the, the people who work these jobs uh, you know, need childcare. And, and even if they are getting extra money in unemployment than they were working, they still can't necessarily get their child into childcare. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's a, it's a combination of things mm. that have, uh, that have added up to this problem. But, you know, you've got restaurants that are, like you say, you know, they can't, they can't have as many tables as they would like, or, or simply because, you're taxing the living bejesus out of the staff that already exists. There's like they they just they can't work any harder or any more efficient because they got no choice. They There's should a, all be self serve. Yeah, no, that's that's, that's make them all self. You know, I mean, not the cooking. Obviously, the cooking has to be done by professionals. But, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, but, you might as well just stay at home and cook for yourself. Exactly. But uh, you know, I can I can go to the counter and get my own salad. I can uh, I can go and uh, pour my own beverage. I can do that. I know how to do that. Uh, I can't necessarily run the register, but uh, all but the other stuff. But they wouldn't even let you do that anymore. Which because part? Going to serve yourself. Oh, even, they even, never all, did. even at buffets, yeah, they have people serving you. Yeah. If you go to the uh, the Golden Corral, and God knows why you'd want to. I haven't yet. <laughs> don't don't uh, don't uh, oh, don't hurt yourself. Can't believe I haven't done that yet. Yeah, you can't ser- you can't serve yourself anymore. They got people to do that for you. That's ridiculous. Because of COVID. How do I know they're vaccinated? You don't. You don't. It's the risk you take. But then again, you experience a lot of risk going to a place like that. No, no come on now. I know you could be hit by a car. Uh, something could fall on you. That's what you mean. That's not the kind of risk I'm talking about. Come on. It's 658 with Bax and O'Brien at Rock 102. The Bax and O'Brien. And now, Bax's View from the Couch. Brought to you by Rocky's Ace Hardware. Grills, grills, grills. Weber, Big Green Egg, and Traeger Wood-Fired Grills. Hey, good morning, sports fans. How the heck are you? Folks, as a professional Hall of Fame caliber broadcaster myself, allow me to peel back the curtain and reveal some of our astonishing secrets, such as the bad hours, the crappy pay, the flimsy benefits, combined with an ever-flowing stew of egocentric personality types. Is it even any wonder how we broadcasters stay in business? And yet, despite all that, you still see a guy like Stephen A. Smith get a five-year, $60 million contract with ESPN. What is everybody else on ESPN's first take making a year? Max Kellerman, Molly Kareem, a whole hell of a lot less than Stephen A. Smith. And when you give a guy $12 million a year, sometimes even that is not enough. Yesterday, the New York Post reported one of the worst kept secrets in television sports, and that is that Max Kellerman, the co-host of ESPN's most popular show, First Take, was being taken off the show. Taken off the show because for years, Stephen A. Smith has wanted him gone. And while he insists it's not personal, he apparently wanted to be paired up with a revolving stable of people to spew forth his endless opinions. And with Stephen A.'s previous partner, Skip Bayless, negotiating with ESPN as leverage to bolster the renewal of his own contract with Fox Sports, that left Max Kellerman vulnerable. So vulnerable that he's now officially off the show and have been relegated to ESPN Radio, where people go to be forgotten. There's also talk of an afternoon show in the works, but not quite yet. Is this a bad decision? 
I have no idea. What I can tell you is that when people watch First Take on ESPN, they're really not watching because of Molly. They're really not watching because of Max Kellerman. They're watching because of Stephen A. Smith. And that's why Steve is making $12 million a year. The guy holding the camera to make him uh, look good on television is making slightly above union scale. The problem I have is that in order to pay Stephen A. Smith, you can't exactly commit to a new co-host because that would be too expensive. Instead, you'll have to match Stephen A. up with a bunch of people who don't make as much as Stephen A. makes in a week. And just in case you were wondering, Max Kellerman's annual salary is 12 times less than they were spending on Stephen A. Smith. In other words, I'd want to leave too. But hey, another my yapping sports brought to you by Rocky's Ace Hardware. Pull up the Rocky's August sales flyer on your phone or computer. It's loaded with bargains like the four buck tool sale and the DeWalt $100 deals. Every month there's a new Rocky's flyer jam packed with savings and it's always at your fingertips at rockies.com. I'm back. That's my view from the couch. Rock 102. Rock 102 Springfield's Classic Rock at 7-Eleven and the Rolling Stones. Uh, late Charlie Watts on Rock 102. The Rolling Stones again. Yes. Well, he died yesterday at the age of 80. I think he died Sunday. No. What's today? Today is uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. He died Monday. No. According to Wikipedia, it was yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah. And yet we were talking about it yesterday morning. Yes, but they're six hours ahead of us in, in England. So, uh, yes, he could have died yesterday, and it still would have been the 24th. Yeah, I'd like to see a death certificate. Well, I'm seeing it on uh, Wikipedia, and that's good enough for me. They would never lie. I've never found false information on Wikipedia. You know, uh, I'm not a big lottery player. Uh, I have been known to play now and then, usually uh, scratch tickets. Very, very rarely have I ever picked a... Uh, uh, a number-based ticket. Um, so I know that you don't win if you don't play. But uh, Ali Jafar and his boys claimed 651 lottery prizes of more than $1,000 each in a six-month span, which is described by someone from the Lottery Commission as statistically improbable. I mean, to win 651 times during a lifetime mm-hmm. is statistically improbable. To do it over the course of six months yeah. is the uh, most uh, condensed uh, period of luck I've ever heard of in my life. And you would think that when someone says to you, hey, listen, uh, come on, 651. Now, the, these guys are lottery dealers. They they have uh, they have convenience stores. They own the stores. They're the ones dispensing the lottery tickets, and yet they are the ones who have won 651 times. And then someone from the lottery commission comes along and says, uh, "Guys, uh, listen, uh, we're not buying this. Okay, so you're suspended. You you can't sell tickets any longer." They had the balls to go to court and sue the lottery, in order to be able to get back into the selling game. Uh, And uh, I don't know why I have the information that they sued, but I don't have the information as to whether or not they won. The lottery fired back using statistics to show what officials believe was impossible luck for this family. The hearing officer said that this guy, Mr. Jafar, would have been required to purchase 2.2 million tickets in order to win 559 times. <laughs> but 
in the uh, paragraph after that, that winds up being over 12,000 tickets per day, which, according to the judge, equates to purchasing 517 tickets per hour yeah. and more than eight tickets per minute. Yeah. It, it seems plausible to me. It also means that you would have to spend $15,455,688.99. God, where the, where were the, the red flags on this? Did, in, did nobody see them? In order to win $12 million, $12,158,950.76. So even if you could pull this off, you're $3 million in the hole because it cost you $15 million to win $12 million. So it, it's also not going to work very well. And they also had some kind of a scheme where they didn't pay taxes on this money either. Mm. So that's also what they're in, in, in trouble with is, uh, is the IRS. But I just, you know, it seems, first of all, it's incredibly ballsy to think you can get away with this and, and that the lottery is not auditing this, paying attention enough to realize, hey, wait a minute, these are three different stores. These guys uh, all have the same name. Uh, t- although it does say the tickets were purchased in various places, including Lowell, Nantucket, Boston, and Worcester. You know, I'm reading this story yesterday. I'm trying to figure out, okay, so they've got all these tickets and they're winning all of this money. How exactly are they doing that? How are they finding and identifying all of these winning <clears throat> tickets? Is it legitimately winning tickets? Are they doctored in any way? Do they have a way of figuring out which ones are winners and which ones are losers? How exactly are they making this happen? I'm, uh, I read a much more involved uh, story yesterday, actually, in the New York Times that I'm trying to find again. Um, I believe in some cases, oh, here they are, here it is. In some cases, they were in cahoots with the actual winners. Um, a 19-page indictment and collectively charged more than a dozen counts for honor. They claimed the prizes on behalf of the actual winners who potentially avoided having their winnings garnished for unpaid taxes or child support, which is a requirement for any prize over $600 in Massachusetts. So then they also, <coughs> excuse me, they also reported six- and seven-figure gambling losses on their tax returns, allowing them to reduce the taxes they paid on the winnings. <laughs> this, this is how ballsy these guys are. The lottery suspended the three men from cashing the tickets. They challenged it in Superior Court in Boston. I think it speaks to the level of hubris. This is not the result of somebody who's lucky or somebody who's quote-unquote playing a lot. Now, Hubris, wasn't he the host of 2020? Uh, no, that's Hugh Downs. He also uh, hosted Concentration, I believe, oh, back in the uh, right. 80s. I thought it was Hubris. Not a clear. The lawyers represented the previous civil action. Uh, the Lottery Commission has declined comment. The uh, U.S. District Court is not commenting. Um, <laughs> to avoid having their money garnished, lottery officials said people will sometimes sell their winning tickets to someone else to cash in with the commission. The person cashing in the ticket will then keep 10%. That's how they come to call it 10%ing. Now, they also own stores, correct? Uh Uh-huh. So when somebody comes in and they've got a winning ticket, regardless of the amount, there is a certain number of dollars 
won by the the the, uh, the store that issued the ticket, right? Yep. So is that figured into the amount of money we're talking about? You know, twenty one million. Are they are they counting that as well? Are they just counting? Uh, just no. the winnings on these tickets. <clears throat> I haven't seen. Uh, I haven't seen any reference to that. But um, I, but I would think that you know, just based on the the amount of tickets we're talking about, that part of the twenty one million dollar fraud must also include some of that as well. Under state lottery rules, a person who claims twenty or more prizes of at least a thousand dollars in one year is subject to review by the director of the lottery. If the lottery director determines that it's statistically improbable to have won that many times, you can be suspended for 90 days from being able to sell tickets. Uh, and a second violation is a 180-day suspension, and a third violation is a one-year ban. I don't know how many times you have to violate it to have your license permanently pulled. <laughs> yeah, we're at we're at, we're at nineteen. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe we're gonna slow uh, down our pace. But when they were but when they were writing the law, it's like, all right, look, if you get caught doing it once, uh, here's what happens. If you get caught doing it twice, that's it. You've had your one chance. But but Massachusetts, it's like, nah, you can have three. Three or more. We're not even saying whether or not it's more than that. All right. So, you know, but you know, it's it's the father and his two boys, and isn't it just nice that a family can still do things together, even if it means defrauding the state of Massachusetts? Sure. Yeah. Sure. You know, the father son nights uh, when we were growing up were never this much fun. Now this is this is even more elaborate than the Pinewood Derby we cheated our way through. Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm just uh, probably got a lot of the action. I'm still trying to see where exactly. Uh, it says that these guys own the stores. Uh, he and his sons collectively charged in what authorities say. The vast majority of these were scratch-off tickets that are typically sold at convenience stores. According to the indictment, the family claimed the prizes on behalf of actual winners who potentially could have owed child support or back taxes and then falsely reported uh, losses on their uh, taxes. Top individual, yeah, okay. The family previously raised the suspicion of lottery officials when prosecutors said the father was the top individual lottery ticket casher and uh, one of his sons was ranked third that year. The other son was ranked fourth. The lottery, st- the lottery commission temporarily suspended the three men from cashing lottery tickets. Not from selling them. These Just guys were them. these guys were not convenience store owners. <clears throat> okay, they would just somehow find the winners. I don't know how. Okay, but but even if that's the case, how do you find six hundred and fifty-one yeah. lottery winners over the course of six months? How do you find those people? Hmm. I don't. I don't think I've known well, 651 lottery winners in my lifetime. We are one of those states where the lottery winner has to be identified. So I suppose if they did their homework for the major jackpots, if you win over a thousand dollars, do you have to identify yourself? I mean, I know you have to show. You do. Okay. Well, then there, there you go. But mm. that's uh, that's you, you, you do. And what I've noticed that people are doing lately, ever since the, there was a woman who had a she was like forced to being recognized for winning this jackpot to be recognized who she was they wound up ruling that it was okay for her to use a trust like a person who represents a trust so you can do that right uh but that seems 
you wouldn't be doing it for something like this. This is a this is a rather long story on Mass Live, and uh, I didn't actually read the whole thing because I kept referring back to the article I know I read yesterday from the New York Times. But um, either or, either way, from either article so far, I don't know how they how they did this between the doing and the file with the family contestant. Yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, boy. Yeah. Well, good thing we uh, researched all this before. Well, you know, well, I mean, uh, you the know. thing is, it's a very complicated story, yeah. and that, and that's, yeah. and that's the thing. And there's, you know, when I said, you know, how did they do this? There, this story opens up more questions than it gives answers. So it's like, okay, this is what they were able to achieve, but there's really no breakdown of how the hell they figured this out. Maybe they don't want to tell you because they yeah, don't want everybody else to do it. I was it. thinking that, too. Yeah, because everybody um, wants to face 20 years in prison. Well, it's not really why you don't tell people how a crime is committed. No, but um, but, um, but you know, I would assume, maybe rightly or wrongly, that the state of Massachusetts would be, uh, that their ears would be wide open right now looking for more fraud. The uh, judge ruled against the family, by the way, when they brought the lawsuit because the lottery said you can't cash any more tickets. Again, very, very ballsy. They filed suit. A judge ruled against them. Uh, by imposing suspensions on high-frequency prize claimants who claim, claim tickets at improbable rates or in implausible ways, the commission has unobjectionably sought to discourage laundering schemes designed to thwart the apprehension of tax evaders and child support scoff laws. That's what the uh, judge wrote in his ruling. Um, the decision by the judge to toss out the civil action more than 10 months after they found themselves in front of a federal judge. Some lottery winners do win multiple prizes in one day. The lottery looks for the difference between lucky players and fraudulent ones. If one individual wins multiple prizes, it's usually because it's multiple tickets for the same game played with the same number. For example, one woman won a $100,000 lottery prize 11 times on one day. Uh, her ticket numbers were lucky. That's how she did it. But this one is different. This one is fraudulent. Uh, with the instant scratch tickets, so the numbers being the same are statistically improbable. In other words, the woman played numbers that she chose. So that's how she won 11 times in a day. Right. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I still don't. I'm not exactly sure how these guys did it, but until they decided that they needed more, they were geniuses. Well, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm sure when they're on Dateline, it'll all uh, all break it down for everybody. I but don't know why? if they will. Yeah, but but what was their record? <laughs> <laughs> it's 725 with Bax and O'Brien of Rock 102. It's 727 with Bax and O'Brien to Rock 102. You know, if you miss a Bax and O'Brien show, it's no big whoop. You just go to BaxandO'Brien.com and download the daily podcast. It's as simple as that. You can also uh, download it by subscribing to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, or Stitcher, and it'll all be there, too. And you can also check out Baxi's musical podcast with my guest this week, Hugo Burnham from the Gang of Four. You can also check out uh, older interviews with like Jerry Harrison and Chris Franz from Talking Heads and Colin Moulding and Andy Partridge from XDC and Jerry Casali from Devo. All of them still available on BaxandO'Brien.com. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Once again, I need uh, I need somebody to uh, turn on my microphone. It's not complicated. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is I could leave it on because 
you and I, in order for you and I to speak to one another off air, yeah. I have to turn it on. So you're the one who's uh, controlling whether or not my voice goes on the air. That's correct. So I could just leave my microphone on. So why don't you? Uh, it's just, it, it goes, it's, it's ingrained, man. Are you, you know, are you doing stuff that I shouldn't hear? No, no, but I've got the, t- the TV on and, but that's obviously not going to be heard again because no. you have a button that would put me on or take me off. You, you can do whatever you want, but you know, if you're going to be a little, uh, a little slow on the button pushing. And, yeah. You know, I mean, it just makes sense to leave it up so you don't yeah. have to worry about it. I think I'm going to do that. You know what? And and since you just told me to do that, if if anything bad ever goes over the air, it's going to be your fault. It usually is. Well, uh, that's true. Just as a standard practice, when mm-hmm. uh, when thing goes, things go bad, uh, I get the phone call. You get the phone call, but I usually get the blame. Well, that's because I'm usually apologizing for you. Yeah. On your behalf. I mean. Well, it's not going to happen this time. Uh, next hour, we're going to be talking to uh, Mick Gorley, Michaela Gorley. She's from uh, from Agawam, and she is a filmmaker. She is about to uh, release the second part of a uh, of a trilogy uh, that she's doing, and we'll talk to her about that. And we'll also give you a chance at winning a ticket to see the Dead and Company coming to the Xfinity Theater in Hartford on September fifth. A lot of stuff still yet to come today with Charlie Watts. No. He's not with the Dead and Company? He never has been. Well, he kind of is, but he's not playing as much. That's very respectful. I'm it's just saying. 729, a rock. 732 with Bax and O'Brien, a rock 102. It's time for news brought to you by Yankee Home Improvement. All month long, receive 40% off installation, windows, doors, and Yankee Home's signature one-day bath system. Always use the keyword rock 102. Here's local radio icon Steve Nagel. Thanks, Bax. A Montague Farm has once again taken top honors for producing some of the best tomatoes in the Commonwealth. Yay! That's that's your top story? Oh, that's my top story, my friend. If you have a problem with that, you take it up with the tomato people. I don't, I don't know any tomato people. Well, you should. Maybe you should go visit the Red Fire Farm in Montague, who uh, I- took first and second prize in the cherry tomato category in the 36th annual Massachusetts Tomato Contest. No kidding. I don't actually uh, eat tomatoes um, oh, or yeah. cherries, for that matter. Well, you don't know what you're missing on either one. No, I used to. I mean, I, I uh, when I was a kid, I ate tomatoes like, uh, like apples. How come I never took off as a hand fruit? It's a good question. I think it's because of all that that uh, that stuff inside that seems to be like uncooked. <laughs> I used to do that. Maybe you know what? Now that I think about it, I, I've had uh, I've been on high blood pressure medication for a long time. Now all of a sudden, I think I'm starting to understand why. Because when I would sit on the step uh, eating that tomato like a like an apple, I also did it with a salt shaker in my hand, and every bite would require heavy salting. Well, it does taste better with salt. Oh, yeah, but the amount of salt I was putting on it. <laughs> For you, it's like a salt lick. Yeah, carry, exactly. Carry gotcha. your own bottle of sea salt around with No, I just, well, I just sit outside and keep the take the shaker with me. Yeah, well, why don't you just grab a bowl of salt and use it as a dip? I could have. I never thought of that. See, well, you can uh, relive your uh, nostalgia by uh, going to the tomato festival. Well, I'll tell you tomato. what. Tomato. I, uh, I love a good tomato. And I, where do I got to go for this? Montague. Montague. Well, you know what? I, I, I get for One, find out how to get to Montague. And then secondly, uh, bring a few extra bucks so I can get some extra tomatoes. How is it that there was 36 of these and I've never heard of uh, one of them? 
other than right now. Well, what about those uh, Long Island tomatoes? The Long Island. Yeah, oh, remember those those uh, great ones that please. my uh, mom used to love for me to get when I went out there. Those are sweatshop tomatoes. Tomatoes no, no. should be ashamed of themselves. The uh, the other, you know, talking about the salt shakers. Um, I, I don't even want to say who because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I was at someone's home once. Who? Who? Uh, What's it rhyme with? Uh, it rhymes with uh, uh, leather and father. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the. Uh, <laughs> Salt shakers, salt and pepper, salt and pepper shakers had uh, some kind of motor in them. Okay, I'm assuming must have run on batteries mm-hmm. because they were not there were not no cords running from them. I've All seen right. those, yeah. But uh, you turn it over and then you'd hear this noise, uh, presumably uh, grinding. I guess the uh, the salt and pepper. Yes, cool. because yeah, cool. pe- people like their uh, fresh cracked pepper, and mm. there are some kinds of salt that uh, you know it's it's a larger grain and need to be ground up. How how sea lazy, salts, for example? How lazy does one need to be? Uh, it's not need about to become that that you can't grind the pepper yourself by turning the knob that you have to get a battery-powered apparatus to do it It's not so you. much about laziness as I believe it is pomposity. Oh, yeah, so you're trying to be a show-off. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Look at this. It's an automatic salt grinder. Yeah. Ooh, could you please pass the jelly? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's me at the table. That's one of my favorite commercials. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because that happened to me. I was at a uh, I was at a friend's house years ago. Uh, uh-huh. I was I helped him move, uh-huh. and then uh, he paid me in food, which I was okay with. That's all right. Yeah, but sure. His mother, who was uh, who's Puerto Rican, made this. She would make these pernils. Oh yeah, oh, they're so good. So Are those good. chocolates? No, no, it's it's a roasted pork. That's non-parels. What about what? I've never seen parels. <clears throat> How do they have non-parels? You don't want to see the Pirelles. Yeah, you don't want to see the thing. Anyway, I'm, I'm eating this food, and uh, yeah. and I sit down at the table, and I said, uh, I don't know, "Does it? Could, could I get a little salt?" And it was like that Palander off root commercial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, everybody's everybody's like, "What?" And what, salt and what if, on a, on a pernil? It's the most heavily seasoned yeah, piece of meat imaginable. No, no, but it was more for the rice because I like salt. Yeah. I like uh, high blood pressure. I'm, sure. I'm a big fan of that. And. Uh, so and and this the daughter of of this woman goes, what you want to put salt on my mama's food? And it was just like that Palander off route thing. Whose house were you at? Past the jelly, huh? Whose house were you at? I was at a friend. It, it was a friend's mother's house. Uh-huh. She was uh, she was providing the food. And she sounded like that. Uh, this was the daughter of the. Yes, yeah, she uh, does. Is sound this like the, that. the the rice with little beans in it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. It's so and the, good. And yeah. the plantanos. The plantains. Oh, the fried plantains? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Plantains? Yes. He's a Kramer's fruit. He eats plantains. Well, actually, it's... uh it's more of a starch. Yeah, I got I got banned from the fruit store from buying the plantains. Yeah, yeah, that's what I. Oh, that's right. That's uh, they were Hampton tomatoes, not Long Island. A uh, third person has died as a result of this weekend's wrong way accident on I ninety one in Holyoke. State police say Judith Keating and uh, Michelle Swaller, both sixty five from Milford, uh, were killed in a car. Who were killed after a car traveling the wrong way in the southbound lane crashed into them. The driver of the wrong way vehicle has been identified as seventy eight year old Wallace Sherman of Gloversville, New York who also died in the crash. 
No other details were released. I had asked um, someone who may have had the ability to do this whether or not. Channel 22 showed this video yesterday that was shot by a motorist on the opposite side of the highway. And um, he he seemed to, in the amount of video that they showed on 22 anyway, and I don't know how edited it was or how much video they had versus how much they used, because they probably only used about 10 seconds of it. Um, but the vehicle that was shooting the video was at first uh, behind the car going in the wrong direction and then came parallel to it and then seemed to have driven past it. So I was kind of curious as to whether or not that individual recorded the moment of impact and um, don't know. But the fact that it appeared as though he was passing the vehicle, uh, he didn't, I, I, I would have, you know, if, if it were me, first of all, I'm not uh, quick enough to think about grabbing a camera. I mean, I think I would have grabbed my phone and called 911 to say, hey, there's a car going the wrong way on 91. But to, you know, turn on the video and record it, uh, that's not that's not me. But I'm wondering whether or not he caught the moment of impact. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I guess we could ask 22 to see if there's yeah. a full video. That's what I did. Oh, and that... They that, said no. Um, well, I mean... You know, th- that's the way of the world, John. Everybody takes out a camera now. Yeah, I and, know. Uh, you and your boomer thinking wouldn't do that. You <laughs> not, yet, not you. Nine one one the, the old-fashioned way. Yeah. Uh, police, uh, 4579. <laughs> yep, there's Gertie, Gertie, will you give me the state police? You know, uh, if, you, if you had the inclination to do it, you would have the saddest TikTok imaginable. Like, no, no videos, no nothing, no one following you, you following nobody, just like a... Like an empty profile. I mean, like that sad Facebook. That's it. Focus. I. In fact, I was. I was sent an email yesterday from Facebook, letting me know that due to inactivity, uh, they were shutting down the. uh, What was that one you started for me, Steve? John O'Brien. Help help John O'Brien solve his problem. Yeah, yeah. That was stopped yesterday. Wow. Uh, put out of put out of its misery, shall we say? You know the funny part about it is, is that in the entire time you were doing absolutely nothing with it, yeah. there were still people that would occasionally like the page, <laughs> even though there hadn't been an update in I believe seven years. Because <laughs> I completely forgot about it. Well, now you now you know. Well, I was busy also yesterday stacking my uh, milk crates. Yeah, did you see that drive-by <laughs> shooting that happened at one of those? No. There was a, I'll have to find the story, but there was a, uh, it said people, because people were, it's people who died from this TikTok challenge. Yeah. But these guys died because somebody came along and shot them while they were doing it. You know, emergency rooms all over the country are being completely swarmed with COVID patients and people falling off milk crates because they want to do a TikTok challenge. I think if uh, John was on TikTok, it would be Dick Talk. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that uh, is true. I changed the tick. To yes, dick. yes, I'm very much aware. I'm uh, glad you also didn't change the doc. Oh, I almost talk. Did, I mean, almost did. Yeah, yeah I right. Almost did. 
Two uh, former officials at the Holyoke Soldiers Home are asking a judge to dismiss criminal charges against them in connection with the COVID-related deaths of 76 residents. Former Superintendent Bennett Walsh and former Medical Director David Clinton both face criminal neglect charges in connection with their alleged roles in the deadly outbreak last year. The charges were brought by Attorney General Maura Healy following an investigation into the handling of the outbreak. No decision has been made yet on the motion to dismiss. A, uh, all K-12 through uh, Massachusetts public school students will be required to wear masks until at least October 1st. Why don't they just make it to the end of the year? Well, we might get lucky, and it's, it's probably <clears throat> easier to just extend it than to say, you know, it, people are so strung out about this. You know, there's still people that are bitching about how Fauci should be fired because he didn't know. Because at first he said we didn't need masks, and then he said we did need masks. And I don't know what evolution means, and I don't know what the changes of a germ can do. Uh, so I have to believe that he's lying and he should be fired. So if we tell people now to wear masks starting on the first day of school till the, till the last day of school, and then by de- December or January we say, okay, you know what, we have this under control – uh, you can you, you don't have to wear the mask to school. You're going to have those same people going, oh, my God, you don't know what you're talking about. Why can't you f- make up your mind or figure this out? And it's just, you know, you can't win. But no, you, well, you, you can't win uh, in a situation like that. But when it comes to, you know, whether you, you impose mandates on schools, you know, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, that things dramatically improve by the end of October. It wouldn't be that big of a deal for people to say, for school systems to say, okay, you no longer need to wear your mask. Like, why are we, why are we putting an end date on this at this point? It's too mm-hmm. early to say that October is going to be it or November well, is going to be it. Like John just, just said, you know, now that I think about it, it's easier to extend it than it is to. Yeah, and the psyche, the the psyche of parents. If you say kids are going to have to wear masks for the entire school year, you're going to have parents protesting and pulling their kids out of school if you tell them look it's going to be for a month and then when they see the numbers go up from through september and then the state is forced to say okay now it's going to be november 30th then at least they understand oh okay well i see because more children are actually getting covid now it's it's just it's the psyche of of the uh of the idiots an Edgewater, uh, Florida police officer has been arrested and charged with battery, according to the New Smyrna Beach Police Department. The arrest occurred on Flagler Avenue in New Smyrna Beach, according to the arrest report, at Peanuts, a restaurant and sports bar. According to the arrest report, Nacy Tagulu approached a woman who was singing ka- karaoke at Peanuts, and Tagulu, according to the report, put his hands on the woman's hips. The woman reportedly told Tagulu, uh, that she was married and not interested in his advances. And an altercation ensued between the woman's husband and the suspect. What was oh. she singing? Uh, Don't Stop Believing. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Did you just make that up? Yeah, I did just make that up. <laughs> she, was singing, uh, she was singing The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yes, yeah. Actually, I forget where I saw this. There is a, there is a tribute band out there that plays, oh, man, now I can't remember what the other artist was. It, it, it's a combination of somebody and Gordon Lightfoot. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go to this show. Who else in Gordon Lightfoot? I, that's what I can't remember. It, but it was another one of those, you know, almost folk singer types. Uh, I, 
God, I can't believe I can't Jim remember. Jim Croce. No. Roger no, Whitaker. No. Burt no, Bacharach. No. But, I, but I'm thinking, man, oh, man, if you're a tribute band for Gordon Lightfoot, where do you put the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald? Is that your opener uh, or your no, closer? That's, that's the big closer. What, what's the name of the band? I, I don't remember that. Because usually it's like a song. Uh-huh. The name of the band is usually a song. Yes, in fact, it might very well have been uh, Sundown or something like that. See, I would yeah. name the band Gitchagumi. Uh, yeah, but that's just a, that's just a word <clears throat> within a song. Years ago, I went on a, on a sailing trip on Lake Superior, which you know is the other word for uh, Lake Gitchagumi, and uh, there was a guy who uh, wa- who uh, designated himself to be in charge of the music during this weekend sailing trip. Mm-hmm. And the guy played nothing but Gordon Lightfoot. Oh man, that must have been the best cruise ever. I wanted to kill this guy after like four hours that's of like it. It's like yeah, enough is enough that's with like Gordon Lightfoot. Playing airplane songs at the 9-11 memorial. I'm telling you, it is. Yeah, I'm all I'm seeing is uh well, I'm seeing the Whispers of the North, the Gordon Lightfoot tribute band. Whispers of the North. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't uh, say anywhere. No, and it's not live. <laughs> like, like, you know, now performing with somebody, somebody, someone. Well, I would have thought that you know the Google search would have maybe given me geographically the closest ones, but I don't think so because this place, these are all in Michigan, and God. most of them now have been post. Oh, well, May and June was postponed, but oh, Michigan. Where are you in your life? Where you go? Where you say, you know what? I really would love to do. I would really love to do a tribute to Gordon Lightfoot's music. Hey, guy, you know, no, you're like you're in a band. And you're like, you know what, guys? I think we need to find a hook, okay? Uh, we're not making it playing everybody else's music, but maybe we could be much more popular playing one person's music. <laughs> yes, now, but... Who, who sh- we're all going to... I'm going to hand out pieces of paper here to the six of us and uh, write down who you want to be a tribute band of. Oh, you know, and then, and then the, uh, the leader of the band starts reading them. <laughs> all right, well, I got uh, air supply here. Uh, <laughs> I got England Dan and John Ford Coley. I got uh, Engelbert uh, Humperdinck. Uh, Engelbert Humperdinck and uh, Hamilton Joe, Frank and Reynolds, and uh, Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, let's vote. And then they all vote. Well, let's say it's four to one. Uh, one held out for the England Dan, John Ford Coley. Oh well, our, our lead singer has lockjaw, so he'd be perfect <laughs> yeah. for, uh, for Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> Or a Bob Dylan tribute. Yeah. Uh, we'll go with Gordon. <laughs> or, Springsteen. or Springsteen. Or yeah. Springsteen, yeah. Your uh, Pioneer Valley forecast today brought to you by uh, Fogbuster Natural Cold Brew Coffee. It is going to be hot, hazy, and humid with a high of 91. More of the same for tomorrow with, again, a high of 91. It is 68 right now in downtown Springfield. Next time you're at the beverage cooler, look for the black and white can. It's Fogbuster Nitro Cold Brew Coffee. This stuff is velvety smooth and absolutely delicious because Fogbuster is air-roasted, not drum-roasted like those other iced coffees. Look for the black and white can now at every Big Y Express, and that's your Fogbuster forecast and the news on Rock 102. Ah, yeah. The McDonald's. Rock 102 Springfield's Classic Rock. It's 7.55 in the Rolling Stones. And the late Charlie Watts on Rock 102. So, uh, you know, I was uh, not a fan of George W. Bush when he was president. But one of the weird things I can remember so many people were upset at, and I completely defended him on, was uh, flying over uh, New Orleans after Katrina. 
and uh, and people were like, "Oh my God, how can he be so heartless and, and not go down there?" And 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 I always was like, "Do you have any idea what kind of chaos is created when a when a a president or or a politician, a, a national politician, show up somewhere unannounced and just decide they want to." Do whatever it is they're doing, gonna do, right? Even if it involves <laughs> tossing rolls of paper towels to people, it, it's 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 a pain in the ass. You're better off not doing that. Uh, Massachusetts Congressman Seth Moulton and another guy from Michigan—I forget his name—these uh, two guys on their own, without any permission, without any knowledge, uh, without any forethought given to either the Pentagon or the Defense Department, they got on a plane a couple of days ago and they flew to Kabul so that they could see the operation. Now, they're both veterans, uh, I believe veterans of Afghanistan since right. it was a 20-year war, uh, but but the Pentagon, the White House, is furious that these two guys did this. First of all, because the concern is you're taking the seats of either crew members that are needed or refugees that that deserve the seats and secondly you're, you're you're creating chaos by going into an area that's already chaotic and, and i i really do i i don't know what kind of uh action can be taken against them well but the, the, what the, a stupid thing to do it, it's i wouldn't have advised it but you know it is different than when two con when two congressmen go someplace as opposed to a president, yes. I but, mean, the, the amount of you know security, yeah. and the amount of uh, you know planning and everything else is much greater for a president to show up there than you know to a congressman. Yeah, but usually, and, and this is done sometimes that congressmen will go on these fact-finding missions with the understanding uh, and permission of either the Pentagon or the Department of Defense or State Department or whoever it might be. I mean, to just. They, they paid for their own tickets. They uh, somehow talked their way onto the can, the uh, Kabul airport grounds and then somehow talked their way back onto a plane to come home because they're already back. And uh, it just, what a, what a stupid well, I thing. I don't, I don't think you plan for an overnight, especially, uh, especially now. I think they, well, I don't know how much time they actually spent on the ground. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't even know if the hotels but, are open this week. Yeah. Uh, the Dead and Company are coming to the Xfinity Theater in Hartford on September 5th. Tickets are on sale now at uh, LiveNation.com. Uh, ticket holders must provide proof of full vaccination or a negative COVID-19 diagnostic test within 48 hours prior to entry. How they're deal dealing with that, I cannot tell you. The only thing I can tell you is I get a pair of tickets to give away to the 10th caller at 293-1021. Good luck to you. You'll go see the Dead and Company in Hartford on September 5th. Kind of, kind of ironic, David. Dead and company in the midst of a pandemic where you've got to make sure you can prove that you're not going to die. Uh, they, they don't want anybody else to be grateful for yeah, being dead. Yeah. And I, I think we can all agree to that. It's 758 on Rock 102. So, you.com slash credit. And now, Bax's View from the Couch. Brought to you by Rocky's Ace Hardware. Grills, grills, grills. Weber, Big Green Egg, and Traeger Wood-Fired Grills. Hey, good morning, sports fans. How the heck are you? As many of you know, the cutthroat world, the professional sports mascotting is serious business. You can't just put some guy in a foam rubber suit in front of 34,000 people and expect that things are just going to be okay. 
Being a sports mascot takes skill, ambition, and a tenacious desire to delight the ticket-paying fans with your antic shenanigans and unfettered tomfoolery. The problem is when the parent club decides to make changes to this proud line of work. Because in a court of law, one must occasionally ask the tough questions like, who has authority over whom? For example, a federal court magistrate in New York has just released a 91-page decision claiming that the Philadelphia Phillies are within their rights to make significant changes to their mascot, the Philly Fanatic, despite its creators arguing that the original Philly Fanatic costume is a registered artistic sculpture under current copyright law. According to the original court documents, the Phillies were looking to make sweeping material changes to their mascot design, including less fur, more feathers, stars outlining the eyes, and many other drastic updates. The magistrate, however, ruled that while the original creators were able to prove the Philly fanatic was a protected copyright entity, the changes suggested by the club were sufficient enough to allow the club to continue its association with the fanatic nevertheless, just like it has for the last 37 years. Now, my question isn't just, how can you have it both ways? My question is, how does somebody write a 91-page decision about a guy in a foam rubber suit who dances during baseball games for a team that's barely cracking 500? I've just given you three paragraphs on it. I feel like I need to lie down. Meanwhile, you have a federal magistrate who clearly doesn't know how to edit her Word documents. Listen, nobody really likes unexpected changes in life, but if the worst thing that you have to worry about is upsetting people over the fur-to-feather ratio of your team's mascot, then perhaps it's time to evaluate your priorities in life. Because in my book, which is far less than 91 pages long, I find I don't really care enough to provide sworn testimony during a frivolous lawsuit. But hey, enough of my yapping sports brought to you by Rocky's Ace Hardware. The Stanley 25-foot lever lock tape measure, four bucks. The Craftsman wide mouth tool bag, four bucks. It's the four buck tool sale at Rocky's Ace Hardware. The August sales flyer is on Rocky's website loaded with bargains like the four buck tool sale going on right now at your neighborhood Rocky's Ace Hardware. I'm back. That's my view from the couch. Eleven. At the Rolling Stones in Rock 102. Another Stone song? Yeah. How come we didn't play anything from the Charlie Watts Quintet? I don't know that we won't. Uh, yeah. I just know that that's uh, Dead Flowers from Sticky Fingers from 1971, and uh, there you go. It looks like Charlie didn't have a set of drums at home. I don't know if he did. Uh, <laughs> they, they just showed on the Today Show a video of something that they did like on Zoom last year, you know, since the pandemic. And uh, and Mick and and Ronnie and uh, Keith are all playing guitars. Charlie's in his house, uh, banging on a couple of books with drumsticks. That's actually a practice method. Yeah. Uh, banging on like pillows mm. or a couch. Yeah, uh, that, that's that's a legit. That's a legitimate thing. But it's hard to believe. You know, like, I don't have any headphones at home. Right. I used to when I was broadcasting from there. But now I got to come to work to get my headphones. Charlie has to go to work to get his drums. Charlie's got a number of set of drums, actually, or did. Uh, and I'm sure he had quite a few of them. Uh, Mick Gorley, at one point in her life, was known as uh, Michaela Calabri. She is a filmmaker. In fact, uh, she has hell? she's working on a trilogy of uh, of short films. She's on the phone with us right now. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to uh, be talking to you guys. Are you running from the cops, too? Is that why you changed your name like that? <laughs> 
No, this is just to uh, honor my great-grandmother. She always supported me, so I wanted to do something nice for her. I see. Fair enough. So this is a uh, the uh, this is the the second of a uh, of a trilogy. Captus is the one you're working on. The trilogy is called the uh, uh, Periculum. Am I am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, you got it right on the money. Man, I thought I it was Periculum. That, that could be. Um, <laughs> tell us about the uh, the trilogy first of all. Well, it sort of started as a series of sh- um, a series of short stories that I've written throughout my life. And uh, when I went through graduate school, I finally got the uh, ability to adapt it into a film. So I decided to take one of those short stories and turn it into something bigger. And the, it's sort of an homage to, um, it's an homage to kind of like the Godfather, Bronx Tale, those kind of old-fashioned uh, crime stories. And, you, and you've submitted this into film competitions, and in fact, you, you, uh, you even won. Uh, the uh, the best in category, uh, in uh, in at least how many uh, competitions have you won? Is it just one of them or three of them? I believe we're up to three, but I have four awards. In one competition, I won in two different categories, and huh. I just got notified that I'm a semifinalist in a festival in Calgary. Wow! Wow! That's awesome. Uh, how many uh, how many films do you plan on having in this trilogy? <laughs> Well, I'm hoping for three, but yeah. you never know what might happen. Yeah, you might want to set your goal a little bit higher. Four, five, maybe would yeah. be nice. Right now, the uh, the one that's that's uh, that's coming up, Captus. It's uh, it's based on a true story. Tell us a little bit about that. Actually, um, I think the press release might be a little bit misleading. It's actually not based on a true story. Uh, it's uh, based. Um, Man, I am going like to talk to your. I am going to talk to your mother. Yeah. <laughs> We've been misled. <laughs> it's about it's about what? It's uh, actually about uh, this fa- this uh, fictional family who, through circumstances, have come together. It's almost like an evil X Men. They sort of come together to keep control of their city, and one day one of them has just left the family completely, cut everyone off, and now they're going after him, and he has to try and survive. And what kind of superpower does he have? He doesn't have a superpower. It's more of a, you know how the X-Men are a team? They fight for good. These are a team, but they fight for evil. Oh, uh, they're like the X-X-Men. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, these right, would, so like, yeah. these are like the X-Men who've got a chip on their shoulder. The bizarro X-Men. Ex- exactly. The anti-X-Men. Yeah. So the, the, oh, yeah. So in the in the third, I mean, this is this is expected to be released, you know, sometime early next year. But the third installment of this trilogy, is that something you've already started working on, or is that uh, is still kind of off in the distance? Well, it's a bit off in the distance. We're in the concept stage right now, but we're always looking to uh, raise funds and do as much as we can. So it's an idea right now, but. Very, very shortly, it's going to start becoming a reality. We're going to start pre-production on it. Where where will you be shooting it? What locations? Depending on how well things go with this film, we're probably going to shoot it in Feeding Hills again, Avalon, oh. kind of the Western Mass area. Is that where you did the first one? We did the first one in New York. Okay. So you're moving up. Moving up. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> when you can take it out of the big city and go on location, that is kind yeah. of a move up. Feeding hills. Wow. It is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is a it is a breathtaking landscape. There's yeah. no question about it. 
But you know, when it when it comes to short films, I mean, you know, how long are, are are we talking about? Obviously, it's not you know an hour and a half, two hours long. It, it's it's a much more abbreviated story. So you know, what's the what's the the the, the frame on that one? The first one was 10 minutes and 55 seconds. The second one looks like it's going to be between 11 and 12 minutes. And, and the third one, d- depending on how much we can raise, might not actually be a short. It might be a feature. A feature? So what, like 15 to 17 minutes? <laughs> no, like a full-length film. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. I'm sorry. So I, so how do you go about you raising money for these films because I mean, even even at you know 12 minute 10 minutes long you know it still costs a good deal of cash to to produce something like this oh absolutely and we have um for each film we start a gofundme page but i also like to supplement with my writing so i have a uh an account on a site called vocal which tips i can get tips and um get paid for my written work that I post on that site. Now, I'm looking, in looking at the press release, I'm seeing the names of cast members, returning cast members. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, is there uh, any place in in this uh, upcoming film where you could uh, find the need for, say, two old men sitting in the background playing checkers or something like that? Hey, we always have room for everyone on our set. Really? So we just got to get on the set. <laughs> you just got to show up and I'll find a spot for you. Oh, really? It's, oh, it's that simple? Sweet. This is uh, filmmaker Mick Gorley on the phone. This, you know, I, I would think that if you were really looking for extras, you'd probably you know, want to look for like you know, particular character types. It's just a, uh, rather than just two old you know, 55 and 61-year-old farts who just happen to be hanging around feeding hills that day. We we could be like the old guys on The Muppet Show. (laughs) That's right. We we criticize everything you're doing, Nick. How do you like that? That sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, Waldorf and Statler are always welcome. (laughs) There you go. So, are are these your first films? I mean, have you done other things besides this? Before this, all I was doing were like little YouTube videos and short clips through my college. But uh, these are my first two. This one's actually my first film without training wheels, I like to say, because the first one I made <laughs> through my graduate school, and this one's kind of on my own. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting about it is, you know, you look at filmmakers today. They all start off small with independent films, you know, sh- you know video shorts, stuff like that, and then they w- eventually work their way up. You know, here you are at you know putting some things into some uh, into some competitions, and you're winning, and you're getting noticed. Not just you know competitions here in the states, but you know Canada, other international uh, you know film festivals. I mean, when you're when you're submitting these things and you're finding out uh, the results of it, you're winning you know prizes. Are you hearing any buzz about what you're doing from? other production companies, other people that may be interested in you doing work beyond this trilogy? I haven't really heard anything specific. Um, Obviously, it's really nice when you get that email that says, hey, we selected you, or hey, you won in this category. But I'm still waiting for, you know, someone to email me and say, hey, we're going to pick up your film for distribution. But that day is going to come. I mean, I'm on the right track. So it's not like Scorsese's calling you and saying, "Listen, I'm getting a little tired of doing it myself. Would you mind hand? Would you mind taking over my company?" 
Nah, he hasn't gotten around to calling me yet. Damn, he'll he'll be in touch. He'll, Don't he's, worry about he's it. He's really dragging. Uh, I think <laughs> I think we th- we probably sound like we just don't know what we're talking about. Because uh, did we get this backwards? So the first film was Periculum, uh, or Periculum. Yes. And the second movie mm-hmm. is Captus. Yes. Okay. Right. I thought I thought it was the other way around. No, well, the name of the trilogy is the the Periculum, uh, your trilogy. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. okay. All, right. All, right. All right. Now we got yeah. it. Now we're understanding. All right. Let's everything. start over. <laughs> so, Michaela, it's nice to have you on the show. Mick, I'm sorry. <laughs> so the the uh, the second film, Captus, is coming out early 2022. When are you when are you thinking that uh, may happen? Do you have a like a a date set yet, or or not yet? Not quite yet. I'm thinking probably the middle of, uh, probably like March, April of 2022. Uh, Post-production is going to take a while, but hopefully not as long as curriculum. And then I'll get it out as soon as it's color corrected and sound corrected and people get to watch it. Now, when you make a movie, I'm sorry, how long did you say this is going to be? This one's probably going to be between 11 and 12 minutes. So when you make a movie that's 11 to 12 minutes long, how long is the trailer? Like four <laughs> seconds? Uh, Seven? <laughs> um, I think uh, we the longest I made for curriculum was about 15 seconds. So you, I, I, I was almost kind of joking, but not really. You So you really do make trailers for this? Oh yeah, I've made I made all of Periculum's trailers myself because uh, apparently you have to pay your editors to make trailers <sighs> on top of editing your films. Oh, wow, so, them sons of bitches are always I, got their hands I, always nickel and diming to death. But that is but that's <laughs> interesting. That I, I mean, how how do you how do you and you said trailers? How how do you uh, choose you know uh, a second here, a second there, and have enough to translate the the story to someone in such a short period of time well i'm lucky enough to have really great actors who can deliver pretty much any line like it's a big tagline moment so i guess you just pick the most like melodramatic line or uh, in one case i made kind of an amateur music video and i used that as a trailer Hmm. And in another case, one of my professors got her husband to do a voiceover, and then I put that over film footage, so that was a trailer. Very cool. Very good. Well, uh, Mick Gorley, uh, Michaela Calabrese, I don't know which one you want to go for, but uh, we appreciate you uh, coming on the show today. Best of luck with the next couple of projects. Hope they go well. Thank you for having me. Appreciate and don't forget, it. if you need a couple of corpses laying around in the background, yeah. where are we- your guys? <laughs> I'll keep you in mind. All right. Thank you very much. It's 824. We're Bax and O'Brien to Rock 102. It's 826. We're Bax and O'Brien to Rock 102. Trailer Trash is going to be there, too? Yeah, and a very rare public appearance. They're going to be there. They're also, uh, from what I understand, they're also, I believe, at MGM on Friday night. Well, I guess they got the whole weekend covered, don't they? man. Yes, they do. Uh, Speaking of uh, things coming up, we're going to be talking to uh, the executive director, of uh, Rick's Place. Steve's talked about the, that organization many, many times. Bill Scatolini will be here to talk about their upcoming uh, golf classic. So we'll tell you more about that a little bit later on. And uh, there you go. They um, did, did another uh, story uh, on the Today Show about Charlie Watts. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, when you see 
Pink Floyd shows, live Pink Floyd shows, uh, Nick Mason is just is surrounded by drums. And Charlie Watts, every video that they showed in this retrospective they just did a few minutes ago on today's show, every every performance he's doing, he's got like four drums. Yeah. He's like just, just four drums in front of him. Yeah, well, the thing about drumming is uh, Nick Mason had a huge set. Yeah. For what? For playing. Why did he have double bass drums? Where did he ever play that? In a, in then in many of the uh, no. many of the double bass songs it's, that Pink Floyd recorded. It's for show. Whereas with Charlie Watts, he was just there to give you the basic uh you know drum line of every classic song they did. He didn't need a huge drum set to to let everybody know, hey, guess what? I'm holding this band together. I'm the glue that's holding this whole thing together. Yeah, well, you need a lot more glue than that no, to you, impress me. Well, you're, but you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I don't, do I? No. Are you telling me that Nick Mason didn't play every single one of those drums? I'm telling you that Pink Floyd didn't have any songs that required all those drums. He could well, have easily played in a, on, a, on, a, on a small four-piece set like Charlie Watts, and have been just as effective. And Charlie also was not a very nice kid. They just they, they said at the end of the thing that uh, when he was a child, his parents bought him a banjo. He immediately snapped off the neck, turned it upside down, and made a snare drum out of it. Because he was a drummer. <laughs> a little bastard. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted to do. Now, l- listen, you know, for all the people saying you know, Charlie Watts was not that great of a drummer, trust me, guy yeah, played on 171 singles. Singles. And uh, if you can get that many people to dance to your songs with just a four-piece set, something so simple, that's a guy that's got extraordinary talent. So, yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a loss at 80. Not, 80. Only, not only did I not realize that he was <laughs> that old, but then finding out that Bill Wyman was 85, yeah. still five years older than Charlie. Yeah. It's, uh, the, these guys are the uh, opposite of what everyone is trying to believe. You know, that your health, uh, the way you live your life is going to determine how long it's going to be. I mean, look, look at these three guys uh, that are left. And Charlie had a heroin problem, they said, for a while there. Yeah, I did. Um, and yet, they lived that long. I have got to get on this stuff. I don't think you do. I, I think it's a little, uh, a bit of a dangerous set of, uh, set of uh, real estate right there. Yeah. Day 29, news is next to Rock 102. 102, it's time for news. Here's local radio icon Steve Nagel. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Thanks, Bax. You're welcome, Steve. A passenger in a wrong-way crash on I-91 has died, Mass State Police said yesterday. Just before 6 p.m. on Sunday, a Subaru was traveling in the wrong direction near mile marker 13.8 in Holyoke when he struck a car with a driver and passenger inside. Both drivers were killed at the scene, while the passenger of the second vehicle later succumbed to her injuries. Uh, they did not specify who was driving the second vehicle. Mass State Police identified the wrong-way driver as Wallace Sherman of Gloversville, New York. The women in the vehicle hit were Judith Keating and Michelle Swaller, both of Milford. The circumstances of the crash remains under investigation by state police. It's, uh, oh, I'm sorry. It's um, just, I just, I said this yesterday. I'm just, I'm fascinated by this kind of stuff. And this is the first time this morning was when I found out he was, no, it was last night I think I found out he was 78 years old. And... You know, obviously, when the when the state police recreate these accidents, they're 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 not just recreating the moment that the guy got on nine ninety one till the moment of impact. 
you know, he's from New York. Obviously, they, they, they get a hold of family. They find out, you know, what was he doing here? Uh, how long had he been here? Where was he staying? Who was he with? And, and you know, what kind of medications was he on? What kind of uh, mental conditions uh, might there have been? You know, all, all of that stuff. Because it's just so... It's just so odd to watch that video and see that car with its flashers on, which would seem to indicate that the man knew something was wrong. Yeah. And, and I just, it's, it's so bizarre. Well, uh, like you said, we don't know any of the details, uh, but sometimes in a medical situation, you, if you're having a stroke, for example, you could think that you're doing everything properly. Yeah. But know that you're yeah. doing something wrong, too, but can't quite comprehend what you're doing. But but then to maintain, and, and you know, again, we were speculating that the distance that the highway was closed would be the distance that he drove. And it seemed to have been from somewhere around the Holyoke Soldiers' home to somewhere around the Mass Pike exit. Or entrance. Yeah. But, um, like, but like we said yesterday, I mean, we're, we're basing a lot of our speculation on 18 seconds of video without really knowing what happened before or after, not yeah. having seen any of that stuff. So, you know, the investigation is going to have to go on before we find out really what happened. Well, but and we might not. I mean, these are not necessarily Possibly. stories that uh, reporters stay on top of or the or the authorities release information for. But that's what we do. We speculate on everything. Yeah, of course we do. And we uh, we just make sweeping generalizations. Absolutely. That's right. And that's what we're set out to do. Exactly. And that's what you're clicking for right now. Hey, more uh, opportunity to do that. Total of uh, <laughs> eight kittens were dropped off at a local animal shelter after being found outside a dumpster in Holyoke Saturday morning. According to the president of the Halfway Home Cat Rescue, uh, Inc., Robin Fiska, said eight kittens were found outside a dumpster in Holyoke. One was in a plastic bag and the others were in a tote. Fiska received a call from the T.J. O'Connor Animal Control and uh, Adoption Center to assist in fostering the kittens since the Animal Control Center was full. Why would you put seven of them in the tote and one in the bag? Well, they couldn't fit all in the tote. It's only one more. Oh, yeah, but... Uh, you stack them. Well, we don't know how big this tote is. I've when, seen some pretty small totes. When you're stuffing pussy cats into a tote, sometimes you're a pussy cat. Gets, <laughs> right, uh, yeah. Gets full. Exactly. And uh, you need to or get your, another... Or your tote gets full of pussy cats. Pussy cats. Yeah. And then uh, you need to have pussy cat overflow into another bag. Yes, mm-hmm. but I would think you'd probably want to, you know, equal pussy cats into equal totes. Uh, Fiska's rescue is also full, but she was able to find a foster family to assist with four of the kitten bottle feeders. Fiska said that the eight kittens are likely uh, from two separate litters. The four she has taken in are approximately three weeks old and believes the other four are about four weeks old. The kittens were all covered in fleas but are now safe. One of the female kittens is missing an ear, but we don't know if that was missing an ear as it was born, right, or missing an ear because somebody cut it off. That's uh, the, the Van Gogh of kittens. Van, <laughs> yeah, but I believe Van Gogh did it to impress a woman. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know if a, he did it to impress a, a pussy. pussy. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's really historically accurate. Well, I was on this uh, psychedelic uh, psychedelic liquor I was drinking. Yeah, right. Hey, that chick. Uh, I'm, watch this, honey. I'm going to cut my ear off. I'll do it too. Yeah. That's badass uh, Van Gogh stuff. Yeah, right there. exactly. Uh, 
anyway, uh, Fisco posted on social media, it is completely outrageous and disgusting that someone would do this when there are so many options out there to surrender, mm-hmm. which is true. Yep. Like, you can go to, even if the TJ O'Connor Center was full, they will find a place for those for yep. those animals. And it won't be in or around the dumpster. Yeah, people are just uh, horrible people. People are strange from what I've heard. They are strange when you're a stranger. Mm-hmm. And faces, get this, John, look ugly. When you're alone. When you're yes. alone. Yeah, alone. I've heard that. Yeah. Oh, you've heard the story. Before. Yeah, I have. Yeah. It's a well-known story. Inmates at a Washington State jail can stock up on free packs of ramen noodles if they get vaccinated against COVID-19. <gasps> oh, hey, oh, now we're talking. Woo. Now that's some incentive. Earlier, the, earlier this month, the Benton County Jail in Kennewick announced it would give inmates 10 free packs of the popular commissary item as a vaccine incentive. Flyers posted on the jail walls advertised the deal with the slogan, Soups for Shots. Now, uh, what is the exact retail value of 10 packages of ramen noodles? Probably $6.46. Yep. I'm surprised it's even that much. Well, Uh, you know, some people really need to be incentivized to get the vaccine. And uh, I I imagine for some, ramen noodles is good enough. For for others, it's going to have to be a lot better than that. I I got an email the other day. From uh, from a listener who was uh, very upset with me for for something I had said previously uh, about the vaccine, and without necessarily uh, getting into the all all the previous letters, because she wrote to me, I wrote to her, but I've gotten the the fi- I believe to be the final one now uh, from her this morning. Uh, you made absolutely no mention of she she had a problem with me saying that. Um, you know, the people who didn't get the vaccine, if they got COVID, shouldn't be surprised. And, and I would not possibly have a lot of sympathy for them. And she said, no, you made no mention of those who have reasons, valid reasons. You just got stuck in your head and you think you're the only one who has the right answer. Maybe you should have taken better care of yourself over the years so you wouldn't be in such an unhealthy situation. Ooh, may, snap. May snap. that be a lesson for you. But to daily cut down people who don't get the vaccine is disgusting to hear. I stopped listening to your show now because I can't stand your negative attitude. But this discussion, this discussion made that decision simple. Oh, you so- really don't watch your opinion while on the air about some pretty delicate topics. I'm so glad you got my email. It's sad someone has to tell a man of your age that. Yeah, uh, but, uh, and, then, and then finishes it by, uh, by saying, uh, let's see. Yeah, good luck with that. I'll be thinking about you in five or ten years when the commercials start coming on TV. Oh, wait, it's emergency use, government-owned. We won't see that, LOL. See you, old man. Have fun sitting in that room by yourself for years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she has a point. You are old. Um, But you you didn't. You did make the distinction the other day about who you were talking about i think i think that's right i don't really remember when, exactly but when you it. had the discussion and the discussion we had the week before you weren't saying that anybody who didn't get a vaccine should uh, deserves to die no no i never say anything like that and i also who, pointed out that there are people who haven't gotten the vaccine not because they're against it but you know they might not have had time to get they can't take time off from work they're worried if they get side effects and they get sick 
They'll have to take time off. They'll lose their job. Yeah, I mean, there are reasons out there that are understandable. No, but you did make the distinction that it's you were talking about people who, not the people who are ineligible to get a vaccine mm-hmm. or that can't because of other underlying health conditions. Right. It was the people that just decided, meh, not getting it. Yeah, you can't make me. Me and my upside down face. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck sitting in that room by yourself. Years. Well, anyway, back to the uh, the ramen noodle thing. Mm. Uh, to encourage and support COVID vaccination efforts, the Benton County Department of Corrections will be providing each inmate that starts their vaccination series and a all in capital letters ten free ramen noodle soups. I'll tell you, I'd almost willing to get another two shots if I knew I could get free ramen. How do you? Uh, I, I know this is double up s- on my vaccinations. It's gonna be hard to imagine, but I don't believe I've ever had ramen noodles. Like, Never? Mm, I don't I don't distinctly remember. So Not even in the cup with the uh, vegetables in I, it? I don't, I don't think. Maybe in the cup. So I, that was kind of the point of my bringing this up is how do you make these things? You just boil water. you got to boil water. Yeah. So it's unlikely these inmates are going to be able to make these ramen noodles in their cells. Uh, no, actually there are... Certain instances where people are able to cook in their cells using, say, like uh, uh, like their radiators or, or whatever. And you don't even necessarily have to have it hot. You know, ramen noodles are—the noodles themselves are quite, uh, you know, quite diverse. You don't even need to use the, the, uh, the flavor packet in a thing of uh, ramen. You can just use you the noodles. water, right? That's it. But not cold water. You could— I mean, it's going to soften up faster with hot water, but if you leave them soaked in long enough, they'll just absorb the water. How are you aware of the cooking methods in jail cells? It's my business. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cold water doesn't really work. No, not not as well. Even if you let it sit out, it doesn't taste the same. You need that hot water to kind of get that water absorbed inside of those noodles. But having said that, if you're making your own soup, and you're tired of the regular old egg noodles or macaroni, mm-hmm. you could put the ramen noodles in there, and they taste delicious. Uh, a friend of mine makes ramen noodle salad, which is delicious. Oh, yeah, I've had that too. That's where you la- That's where you basically soak it in vinegar and oil. And, and it tastes, uh, and and it tastes the, fantastic, and noodle, doesn't it? Yeah, and you a little crunchy. O- le- no, you leave it overnight, and it comes out perfect. Overnight? Yeah. yeah. Where do I leave it overnight? You put it in the fridge. And then it's going to be cold. Yes, yeah. but the, it's it's vinegar soaking up, so you get flavor within the noodles. But am I going to warm it up before I eat it, or just take it right out of the fridge? It's no eat? longer a soup. It's a salad. Ah, okay. Um, oh, by the way, here's an email. Uh, tell John we still love him. You don't need that stinking listener. You rock. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about asking around. <laughs> you've, you've dated women who are less angry than that. <laughs> Yeah, she hates you. In the beginning. Yeah, she hates you, but she's just so damn sexy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your uh, Pioneer Valley forecast today going to be hot, hazy, and humid with a high of 90. Tomorrow, more of the same with a high of 92. It is 72 right now in downtown Springfield. I'm Steve Nagel, and that's the news on Rock 102. Ah, yeah. How does Springfield's classic rock? It's 849, and uh, the Dewey Brothers on Rock 102. With the late, great Charlie Watts. No, uh, Charlie did not uh, did not play in that song. Actually. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong band. Right okay. uh, in the studio with us right now. We've talked about uh, Rick's place before. Steve is a big advocate 
of uh, this organization. They do uh, an amazing work. And the studio with us right now is Therese Ross and uh, Bill Scatolini from Rick's Place. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having us, Max. Absolutely. So uh, you have a, uh, first of all, before we uh, get into anything too deep here, tell us a little bit about what Rick's Place is all about. Sure. Thanks. So we offer free peer grief support for children and their families who've experienced the death of someone close. And we provide grief support programming in area schools. And we also provide professional development to school personnel on the impact of death on students. So kids are grieving. They need some support in the schools. We help teachers figure out how to do that. How, uh, how long have you guys been doing this for? I can't hear him. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, I think we started Rick's Place in 2007, I believe, was our pilot program. And uh, and the way this started was uh, back in uh, September 11th, the, tra- the, the tragedy of that. that. That's actually correct. We, we uh, dedicated the scoreboard uh, in honor of Rick Thorpe, our, our fallen teammate and classmate, um, class of 84 at Minichog. And so we had... Uh, in 2002, we dedicated the scoreboard and had a golf tournament, um, and from there, uh, kind of the rest is history. We uh, developed Rick's Place down the road after yeah. we had established the Rick Thorpe Memorial Fund. I so maybe I'm not following this correctly. Is this a place? This is a place where people come to, obviously, to uh, get your services, for lack of a better phrase. But but did you also say that you go into the schools and and help provide it? within the curriculum? Well, it's not exactly within the curriculum, but what we do is we go into schools and we meet with groups of students who have experienced the death of someone and they aren't able to get to our programming sometimes. And so we go in and we meet with a cohort of kids in different schools and spend six to eight weeks meeting each week and sharing our grief support curriculum with them. So I think what's important about this is, and, uh, you know, depending on the age of a kid, you know, if you have uh, if you have a kid who's who's experienced the kind of loss you're talking about, and you're wanting to get the, the the kid help, and you're looking for say like a mental health professional, just based on the industry as it's changed, sometimes it's really challenging to find a mental health professional that will see a kid that young. So when it comes to like a place like your organization, and you have the ability to you know, have them talk to other kids who have lost and, and to, to kind of be part of a community of people trying to grieve, that is a really important and significant thing. Yeah, Bax, you totally called it on that. It's about that community support of peers who understand what loss is like. And kids come into these groups and they are thinking they're the only ones who've had a loss. And they tell us, hey, I thought my family was the only one who experienced this, but now I walk down the hall and I know, hey, there's a kid who had a similar experience. I'm not the only one in school who's dealing with this. So you guys now are uh, having a golf tournament coming up in September for it? Yeah, this is going to be the 19th annual golf tournament. Obviously, we missed last year due to COVID, but uh, obviously celebrating the 20th anniversary of 9-11 this September. So I think what's critical about what we do is our services are free to our children, uh, but it's not a free service to provide, obviously, with our staff and overhead and whatnot. And then, of course, with COVID last year, uh, all our fundraising went out the window. So the golf tournament's uh, probably our number one fundraiser. So we're really hopeful that we can get a full field of golfers and sponsors uh, to help uh, 
uh, help our bottom line this year, which is, has suffered. And the uh, the date of this is September 18th at the uh, at the Wilbraham Country Club. But you got the some Country Club of Wilbraham. I'm sorry, I don't want to put the the Wilbraham before the course. Mm-hmm. But uh, but nevertheless, you guys got uh, you know fundraising uh, going on there during the uh, the event. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we have a, a great event. We have a lot of. Um... We have a teacup style auction where you can buy raffle tickets and then deposit them into into prize cups that you might want to win. We have some things on the course. We have a um, air gun where you can, instead of driving the ball, you can shoot the uh, your drive out of an air gun. Really? Oh, yeah. That's that's <laughs> awesome. Can I putt with it? Uh, John, no, I don't. I wouldn't want to put it in your hands. <laughs> oh, oh. Just out, just out of curiosity, how far can a golf ball go? go? In an air rifle, I think it depends on the, on the PSI, uh, mm. and there's a there's a, a professional there monitoring uh, how how juiced up it is. Yeah, uh, so I, it's I, I don't know, but probably quite far. Wow, that's not that's that cool. Listen, if I don't play any, uh, if I stop after like one hole, that's the only hole I want to go to. Yeah. Get, get me the air gun. I want to see that sucker fly. Well, it costs you $10 per, per, per golfer, and uh, then we split the proceeds <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, with the air gun uh, provider. But really, I'm it, saving it, my mulligan for that hole. <laughs> <laughs> we also have uh, this year, we have a silent auction every year at dinner time because this is a full day event where we have lunch and then we golf and then we have dinner and we have a program. But we have a silent auction. So, we were able to uh, garner two tickets uh, to the Boston Red Sox versus the New York Yankees, which now that series actually is going to have some meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be, I think, at the tw- yeah, the 25th of September. And you can get into the State Street Pavilion, two hours uh, early access, and check out batting practice, private entrance. And this is uh, provided by PB Financial out of Ludlow. So we're going to au- uh, silent auction those off. Should be a nice, a nice day at Fenway. If you've ever never been to the Pavilion, it's quite an experience. Up That's there. awesome. So you're going to have you've got a price uh, for the golf tournament, which includes a dinner, but you also have a price if the person doesn't want to golf and just wants to attend the dinner. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. We charge forty dollars if you want to come over for dinner, and we have a cocktail hour with hors d'oeuvres and whatnot, and then some some uh, brief presentations and. And, uh, you know, what, what ends up happening with this golf tournament is it turns out to be a reunion of sorts because of all the teammates and classmates that were with, uh, in, with, in, in school with Rick. So lots of folks come back for the day. And that's why we have it mm-hmm. on a Saturday because it makes travel a lot easier yeah. for folks. You're well, also looking for tea and green sponsorships, too, if anyone wants to do that. Absolutely. We have a, a firm that will do the tea and green uh, sponsorships, and all you have to do is just download the form on our website, which is ricksplacema.org, and you can send in the forms relatively easily. And you can, you can sign up before some in the same way? Absolutely. Awesome. Great. Again, uh, at Rick's Place, uh, uh, Bill Scatolini and Therese Ross. I got the names correctly? Yes. Not too bad. I got lucky this time. Guys, it's good to see you, and best of luck on the 18th. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's 8.56 with Bax and O'Brien to Rock 102. Hector!